Sunrise doesn't require permission. Fire won't subside out of contrition. We can't rewind time with a petition. Conditions of nature are just the way. Bucking against the creates destructive cake. Poseidon waves of distraught water. Seismic shakes ruptured fault trauma. Infernos ignited by friction. Incinerated bridges. Twisters ripped through homes. Instigating division. Inducing tsunamis and Thank you for tuning in to Powerful Impact, where we interview people who made a powerful impact on music, culture, and the community at large. I'm Solrak, joined by SP, Neb, and Goddess. We ask that you subscribe to our Powerful Impact YouTube channel. Like and share with all your family and friends. We'll continue our series tonight as we explore the issue of health and wellness. And tonight, we got a special guest. I'm excited that he's here. He's a researcher, professor, and community-based advocate. And more importantly, he is a hip-hop head. So we're glad to have him tonight. I want to I want to formally introduce I guess for the night, Dr. Raphael Travis Jr. Welcome to the Powerful Impact Podcast. Peace, everybody. Thank you for having me here tonight. Looking All forward right. to this conversation. Well, we're looking forward to it as well. And I just want to start off because, you know, it, everything has a beginning. And before you moved into the realm that you're in now, there was your beginning. And I just want to kind of start it off with that. Where are you from originally and how did that shape you personally and professionally? I'm a New Yorker, uh, born and raised on Long Island, what we call Strong Island. I uh, was born in, uh, lived in Hempstead up till five years old. Uh, okay. Then my parents moved to Roslyn, which is on the North Shore of Long Island. And that's where I was uh, raised up through high school before I went away to school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a New Yorker, how did that shape me personally and professionally? I mean, New York is New York, you know what I mean? Um, it's, you know, uh, it's a place where we grind. And, you know, I grew up in a lower income community. So, you know, uh, everything that goes along with that, you know, the struggle of trying to make it in a difficult environment. But uh, it's, a, it's a hard working town. And, you know, that, that really shaped me as far as hip hop. I was born in 73. That's the that's the oh, yeah. year of the birth of hip hop. So, yes, it is. you know, that that's that's where we lead, live and breathe hip hop. And before we, it even had a name, you know, that was just it was just part of the culture, um, you know. And I, I really think that um, it was a it was a place where we had a voice. It was fun. It was something different than our parents were into. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a, a whole different vibe than you know what adults were doing and it was ours you know mm -hmm. uh and so you know i think that that's just been a part of me ever since day one and um in terms of professionally you know a big part of what i wanted to do was help young people that were in situations like myself you know that's why mm -hmm. i got into youth work um, I worked as a social worker in a residential treatment center and a, a group home. And, you know, I had a lot of opportunities that were given to me, even though I, I grew up in a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a lot of friends that, that didn't have the same opportunities. And, you know, a big part of what I wanted to do is is really to give back you know to try to to try to 
help young people in the ways that I, that I knew were helpful for me and that I know that a lot of times people didn't have the opportunity to to get. So that was one big part of my work professionally and, and my goal. And then somewhere along the way, I realized that hip hop could be a way to help invest in young people at the same time. So really, you know, and we can get into later, like how that actually happened. But, you know, from a professional standpoint, I, I, I was able to see how to marry the two. Mm-hmm. So my desire to help invest in, in young people's future and and provide opportunities for their long-term well-being and then the ways that I knew hip-hop helped me and thinking about ways to bring those two things together. Okay. That's dope. What, so- what song made you, made you fall in love with hip-hop? Like, what was that song you heard? And you were like, whoa, what's that? Like, okay. Yeah. Because we all have that story about when we fell in love with hip-hop. Yeah, like, so there were songs that were dope to me, but, like, when I think back, like, the actual moment, it was even, it it wasn't even my first hip-hop song. So, like, I, you know, like, I remember when Curtis Blow the Breaks came out, like, that was my jam, and... uh, Yeah. But the song that really... I remember, I can I can tell you exactly what was going on. It was a block party that was happening. And uh, it, the dude, the DJ's name was Clay. Clay was on the turntables. And the song was Freedom. I don't know if y'all know that song. Freedom from Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. I don't know. Freedom? It's got the horns. Yeah, y'all should throw it on. It's a dope track. But <laughs> like, the, and it just it goes like, uh, anyway, y'all don't want to hear me sing, but I'm t- like, I can remember the moment just walking down and hearing it. And it was like, it was just the, it was the vibe of the environment. Everybody was, was kicking it. You know what I mean? But I just, I just remember that. And I'll, I'll never forget anytime it comes on, it takes me immediately right back to that moment when that came out, like 83. So I was 10 years old. Um, but that was that was it. I, I, I will always go back to that moment. And it's like something's different about this, and I love it. And um, but yeah, that was that was the one. But there were songs before that, but that's the one that that got me. How do you think? How do you think hip hop changed from that moment up until right now? And I know that's kind of a heavy question, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think. You know, part of what was unique about it, like again going back, was that it, it at that time you couldn't even play hip hop on the radio, like on the black stations they wouldn't even play hip hop. Like it might come on on the mix shows at night for a, li- a little while, but you couldn't. You know, so you had to search and find it. Like I would have to, I would have to listen to. Um, it came on WBAU. I don't know if y'all know that station, but it was a college radio station, right? That's where you had to listen. They had a hip hop show. That's where Public Enemy first started. They played on the yes. on the college station, on the Delphi College Station, ninety point three. So what I would and it would come on late at night. So I would have to set my alarm, wake up, press record because I knew the show came on, and then I go back to sleep, and then I wake up the next morning. And then you listen to it to figure out, like, was there anything, any dope new songs on there? And you hope that they wasn't talking a bunch because that would take up a bunch of your tape of them just talking and not playing the song. But yeah. anyway, 
so you had to search and find hip hop back then, you know, or you had to go to Jamaica Avenue and, and get a tape that they were selling on the street. Um, and now you have hip hop everywhere. And, you know, so it's just a whole different relationship. It's not like this unique thing that's ours, you know, that our parents aren't up on. I mean, there's generational stuff, but you know what I mean? It, it was just kind of a different relationship right. with hip hop back then. It was right. much more personal. It felt more personal. I think so. I think it means a lot more to it's, it. It hit different when when you say hip hop. When people say hip hop saved my life, it just hit different when you a certain age. Because for a lot of people, hip hop was, especially in the eighties was probably the best thing they had to hold on to that was a c consistent and constant. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, uh, you know, it was something that, it was ours. It was ours and it was still emerging. It was still, it was still new and being discovered in a lot of ways. Video music box was another big thing back then. Um, video music, and they just, I don't know if y'all saw that new documentary that they just released. Nas, I think, uh, helped produce it. Uh, a documentary on video music box, Ralph McDaniels, but that came on, you know, back then, you, you may or may not have cable, but you had your traditional channels and you had your UHF channels. And Video Music Box came on channel 31 on the UHF. Yes, uh, I remember that. Yeah. But yes. that was again, you saw stuff that, you know, wasn't it wasn't on mainstream or MTV or whatever. Oh. No. Um, but you could see, and that represented our culture. You saw a lot of the a lot of the music on there. Uh, so that was all. That was a big influence as well. Yeah, I remember those days. Oh my goodness, I couldn't wait to get home just so I could watch that. You know, like <laughs> it was un it was like unheard of. Like okay, they didn't play this like you said on mainstream. So when yeah. you caught it, absolutely. I can't wait to check out the documentary. I know it's good. I still I still check out. Um, you know, recently. Ralph McDaniel started doing the Instagram live. So on yes. Wednesday and Thursday mm -hmm. nights, he's on for a couple of hours playing a lot of those old videos and stuff on there. Yeah, I think right now, because, you know, I was talking with somebody a moment ago, um, you're really starting to see that a lot of the old school hip hop artists starting to resurface. You're starting to, you know, you see that with the versus battles where you're seeing like hip hop yeah. artists from the 90s and, I'm loving it. You know, I'm, I'm glad it's happening because, you know, you know, I'm a golden era junkie. So, um, you know, I'm enjoying these versus battles. I'm enjoying the Instagram live, like you said, with video music box. Even D nice has something on um, Instagram live. So you're starting to he see that happen. <laughs> exactly. So, so it seems like hip hop is catching up with technology because you're starting to see people starting to use the platforms more than just, um, promoting their music, but they're starting to do live shows, live events, and, and, and things of that nature. And I'm glad that you mentioned that um, Chuck D, you was talking about how Chuck D was at the college radio, him and Flavor Flavor at one time. Um, one of the guests that we had previously, T Money, the one who was on last in my, our previous episode, he was also with them with Dr. Dre and all of those things. So it's just, even though hip hop is global, it's so connected. Now, 
I just want to ask you a question related to the current um, trend of hip hop, because I know you mentioned you back in 73. So you got a long, long relationship with hip hop and you experienced it from the essence, you know, the cool hurt days from the, you know, the eighties, the golden era. And then what we see today, what is your feelings about the culture as it stands today? I know you speak to it from one perspective, but just talking about it from, you know, just speaking to it as far as the changes we see now versus what you grew up listening to. I mean, I love I love hip hop. You know, mm -hmm. I think the culture is is as vibrant and profound as ever. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, and, you know, people get on me when I say this. And um, I think there's more. I, I use the language empowering people say mm -hmm. conscious or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think there's more empowering hip hop now than there ever was even in the golden era. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people disagree with that, but I'm like, I mean, you can, you can drop in any city, any state, you got local artists that are doing their thing. You know, there's so much great music out there, mm -hmm. um, infinitely more than there was at, at any time before. So I, I, I think the culture is alive and well. I think one of the challenges is, you know, when we start to factor in the mainstream mm -hmm. versus these other places that we can access music, I think mainstream kind of has a stranglehold on the type of content that's delivered to folks, mm -hmm. but that's not a reflection of the culture. The culture is strong. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and a big thing that, you know, I talked about in the book is like- and Influential. Strong yeah, and influential. Absolutely. We've got these ambassadors of the culture everywhere now. Like, and you know, people that understand because we lived through it. We know how it helped us. You know, it helped us stay straight mentally. It helped us stay on the right path. You talked about that survive versus thrive thing. It it helped keep us focused and inspired and motivated and connected, you know. So we understand it. It's nothing that people can you know, whatever stereotype or stigma you have about hip hop, you can't tell us that because we live it. We know, we know it's power. So, and it's global now, you know, I, you know, I work with folks in the UK and France and Australia and Hawaii and South Africa, you know, everywhere. You know what? And, Germany surprises me. They are amazing. Absolutely. Their hip hop in Germany is like, wow. Yeah, but actually, even Russia and then India, and Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia is just everywhere. Exactly. Um, it's some deep. of the biggest influences for the um, it's okay. deep. It yeah. froze there. I'm not yeah, sure that's it it's okay. But yeah, that, yeah, we we are seeing it being more global um, as before. You yeah. can continue. That's yeah. Great. So, you know, so yeah. I'm, I, I, I love where the culture is and I'm just hoping that, you know, pe people in their various domains of influence that we have an opportunity to help the younger generations really understand the power of the culture and not let the mainstream kind of blind people mm -hmm. to what the culture is really about and how useful it is. Um, because we know it's a it's it's a renewable resource, you know. It's okay. it's mm -hmm. it's a fuel that that everybody can learn and grow from and with, and that's what a lot of people out there really pushing the culture and trying to 
you know, whether it's in education or it's in mental health or it's in physical health, you know, wherever, uh, it's great to see that people are really trying to push the culture forward. Well, what made you like fuse mental health with hip hop? Like what yeah, was that so, moment when you were like, I want to bridge this gap for some, or I want to put this together. What made you do that? What influenced that? Yeah. So my early work, you know, I was really interested in helping young people. So, but in my first like professional role, like when I worked in a residential treatment center, one of the things that I learned early was that everybody that's in the youth, that's in youth work, isn't in it for the same reasons. And so what I noticed was, you know, you had a lot of people that really thought of young people as broken and they got problems and they need to be fixed and I'm here to save them. And that's not what I was into youth work for, right? I wanted to be supportive. I wanted to help invest in opportunities, right? So it wasn't this problem focused work. It really was about investing. And so I really started to shift even more than I thought into this area of positive youth development. And an easy way to think about it is how do you measure success in working with young people? One way of measuring success would be like, okay, they're not smoking, they're not pregnant, they're not locked up, right? So <laughs> preventing these bad things from happening. Oh, I did a good job. The other side of measuring it could be they're more confident, they're more engaged, they're participating in more things. You know what I mean? It's these positive things that we want to see. And so it's a subtle difference, but it's a major difference because that factors into like, okay, well, how am I going to show up in this relationship? Am I showing it up? Am I showing up just to prevent them from doing this bad stuff? Don't do this. Don't do that. Or am I showing up in a way to get to know them and, and be supportive and positive with them and expose them to, to things that, you know, help figure out what they're interested in and good at and try to build from there. And so I really started moving heavy in that direction. And I had the chance to, I moved out of that setting into a group home and I got to really shape the whole program. And I shaped the whole program from that perspective. And in doing that work, one of the things that happened early was, you know, and at that time I was, I was still pretty young, so I wasn't that much off age-wise of, of the kids I was working with, but we were listening to a lot of the same things. And I remember one kid in particular, he was really into DMX and, you know, we just started talking back and forth. And one of the things he said, is like, he's going through the same stuff that I'm going through. And, you know, if you know DMX story, right, you know, he was in yeah. juvenile detention and mm -hmm. group homes and had a lot of problematic yeah. stuff in yeah. his home life. Mm -hmm. and, and that was something that the kid identified with. And he and he had a book and he was writing in it. You know, I was like, oh, man, can I see some of your stuff? And and he was he was dope with the lyrics. Um, but I started putting two and two together at that point. And so it it continued to be a part of allowing certain conversations to happen. And I started thinking about the work in a little bit of a different light. Prior to that, I just thought about hip hop in a way it helped me as an individual. I didn't think about it of how I could use it in the work, but it started going down that path. And then long story short, 
you know, when I did my doctor work, two of the pro, so all right, I'll try to keep it super short. But when I did my doctoral work, one of the things that I focused on was, okay, I believe that the attitudes that people have, the, the people that work with young people, their perspective of what they think their role is makes a difference in how they interact with the young people they work with. So okay. I wanted I wanted to do some research on that. Basically look at different programs and look at the differences in the staff that work in these places and in, in if that makes a difference in how they believe they do their work. So I want to do some comparison stuff. Trying kind, to make of this gonna, kind of like they're going to influence based on their perception of reality. Exactly. Right. You get you hit you hit the nail on the head. And so <laughs> so I looked at two types of programs. I, I didn't look at regular service providing programs. I looked at youth development programs. These are programs that were interested in the positive stuff that we talked about before. But then I, I looked at youth organizing programs. Youth organizing programs are ones that are focused on social justice, so you know, change, community change. And I wanted to see was there going to be a difference? And long story short, we did see a difference. The, the people that worked in youth development programs, they were like, okay, yeah, we know your community is difficult. You know, you grew up, you know, poverty and a lot of challenges, uh, but you can make it, right? The, the classic resilience argument, right? These challenges are not going to, oh, you know, take you over. You can do it and we're going to help you do that. The two other programs, they said the same thing, right? These challenges are not going to, you know, are... You're not going to be hindered by these challenges. You can make it. But they said, but not only that, you are going to help to change the conditions in this community so that the kids that come behind you don't have to go through what you had to go through, right? Very similar resilience messages, but the other one is very, is also very different. You know what I mean? And so that, yes. Yes. and, and two of those programs were also hip hop based programs. So, okay. Okay. So, so that gave me another thing. It's like, wow, you can use hip hop in all of these different ways. You can use hip hop in ways that help, you know, people have a voice and, and, you know, express themselves and be creative and work through these difficult things. But you can also use, because one was in the organizing program, but you can also use hip hop to help spread awareness about these injustices and inequities that's going on, you know, because they were fighting about inequities in the criminal justice system. They were like, you can raise people's awareness, you can organize, you can, you know, so it's, you can have a voice, but you can also work on behalf of community change through hip hop. So that was really, that, that all of that helped inform me coming out of my doctoral work is like, you know, these general things about how people can cope and survive and be well in a society where the odds are stacked against them. Like there's that. But then we also have hip hop that could be a vehicle to help promote all of that. You know, if, you know, um, so that's where that that's when I came out, I'm like, Oh, let's do this. And the last little piece that connects the mental health part was so basically what a, what doctoral work does is it trains you to be an independent investigator. Basically, it, it trains you to look around society and figure out what we don't know 
and then try to do research that will help you answer the unanswered questions, right? So that that's all doctor work does. Kind of like solving a mystery. <laughs> exactly. It trains you to solve the mystery on your own without anybody's help in a way that is like fair and equitable and ethical and all that kind of stuff, right? Okay. So, so, you know, when it, when I came out, um, you know, obviously I'm an educator too, trying to prepare social workers to be great social workers and do all that kind of stuff. But you also do research at the same time. And so in looking at people that were doing hip hop research at the time, it basically fell into two camps. One was like, why is hip hop terrible for individuals and society, right? Uh, like why, you know, to make you more violent and, you know, that was one side. The other side was why is hip hop the greatest thing ever and it's gonna save us all, right? So there's like two completely different camps. But just from my life experience and even just thinking about the questions that we have here today, you know that it's not either or, right? That there's potential where things can be helpful and empowering and great, but there's right. also things that can be potentially harmful and unhealthy and risky. But nobody was asking about how it could be both. And so that was my introduction into the research side of things. I wanted to find out from people. And the other thing was when people asked about hip hop, they asked about it globally, like generally, like, what do you think about hip hop? Right. And so what I wanted to know is what do you think about the hip hop that you listen to? Right. In what ways is the hip hop that you listen to personally helpful? And in what ways might it be harmful? So that was kind of my formal introduction. And basically kind of fast forward, what it helped to do is, is basically give some specifics about the ways that people find hip hop helpful in a way that really wasn't articulated right. clearly before that. So it's all the things that we know already. It's just that nobody had really kind of laid it out there in a way that is, you know, kind of. Or put that information together so that people can actually see what's really happening. Exactly. You know, exactly. because sometimes people learn in different ways. So you would need everybody to kind of explain it in a way that you think might be um, easily understood. Exactly. Exactly. So that's been a big part of it. Is in there. so now that we thought, yeah, you know, hip hop, you know, helps people to think about their identity and who they are and how they show up in the world. It helps them to, you know, feel more confident and to, you know, um, helps them to tell their story about the challenges that they've had in their lives and the ways that they tried to cope with those challenges. Right. So. You know, there's these these narratives that are consistent. You heard the same thing back in when when the break the breaks, right? Think about that. Curtis Blow the breaks. What's the breaks talking about? It's talking about adversity, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. These are the, the message, breaks, right? The message. Yep, all of that. Yeah, yeah. it's talking mm -hmm. about resilience. Like we, this is the stuff people go through. This is how we trying to handle it. How we trying to cope. So that 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 message of resilience and coping with adversity, survival by any means necessary, that mm. message is consistent for the last 50 years, mm. right? And so, you know, when we're talking about like newer hip hop versus old hip hop, I love newer hip hop 
just as much because the stories are the same. Mm. The stories are just the same. The beat changes. The you know we you know we, we, we rhyme in triplets instead of mm. <laughs> what mm-hmm. we did before. You know we got the trap drums instead of the boom bap. But mm-hmm. it's just, it's very similar messages. Um, and so you know the younger generation. They just have a different way of telling their stories than we did, but it's the mm-hmm. same stories. That was a long I, answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But I, I think the part of, I think part of the problem is it's the balance. It's just not balanced anymore. You know, yeah. it, you could go and hear the party music, you know, getting ready from for the club from seven to you know, nine and then at 10 o'clock, you know, you got some of the other stuff. And then, you know, yeah, you absolutely. had a mixture of stuff. It wasn't just um, shoot, shoot them up. It wasn't just the shoot them up movie all, all day long. So I think, um, how, how do we approach that? Because in Main Street, it's either bling sex or drugs yeah i think you you point out a real a, a, a real challenge you know and, and you're right a lot of it is where those boundaries used to exist before they don't exist anymore you know the the on, on the flip side you know you talk about late night that's what i say right on the way driving your kids to school you don't need to hear about <laughs> the most intimate <laughs> yeah. scenes and all that stuff on the way to school, right? So, I, I think that that is a big part of it. Is is mainstream doesn't have any boundaries uh, in terms of you know exposure to certain content, um, and you don't have that same diversity that you had before, which makes it very very problematic in, in a lot of ways. Um, now. At the same time, part of what we also understand is that kids are discerning um, and so don't want to undersell young people's ability to be critical, critical consumers and um, healthy decision makers. Uh, But you, but you, but we do have to think about, okay, what are the strategies um, that we can help? Uh, like what what can we help them to do to be critical consumers of, you know, their media diet in the same way that, you know, we mm-hmm. make decisions about the food that we eat, the TV shows that we watch. Yes. Uh, we can help them to be critical about what they consume. But then on the flip side, you know, how do we make it so that, uh we don't have such high risk exposure to certain things when we don't necessarily uh, need to. Um, those those are important things to to think about. Um, you know, when you start to push back too hard, then you get into the whole censorship thing, and, and you know, and that becomes a challenge in and of itself. I think some of those arguments are a tiny bit short sighted, but uh, but you bring up some some really significant things. Um, and that's a big part of what I write about. It's like, let's look at both sides. Like, how can it be empowering? How can it be risky? And, you know, why we have to think about those things in a little bit different way is because 
risk isn't distributed equally, right? So, you know, when we're talking about violence, you know, where maybe some can, you know, violence can be just entertaining for others when violence is, you know, decimating the community, that can really be problematic. You know, we talk about misogyny, uh, you know, whereas, you know, in an industry that's dominated by men, you know, maybe it, you know, it, it doesn't hit the same, but when we're talking about the victimization rates of women, um, then that's a significant, you know, it's very significant, right? You don't want to be perpetuating messages, attitudes, behaviors that, but don't 100%. you think that a lot of don't you think that like I don't mean to cut you off, but no, don't you think ahead. that a lot of um or do you let me not say this? Do you feel like music influences us like emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually? Do you uh, think the, the the music, the lyrics? Do you think that that affects us in any way? So I think that there's an important. Um, the short answer is yes. Uh, that the way that we engage music definitely has the potential to to have an influence. Now, is it a causal influence? Right, because I listen to this, I am going to be. Um, that's very a subjective thing, and that's a big part of what my research looks at. Is I'm asking people their individual interpretation of how it shows up for them. Um, And, you know, in the work is that for some, it does. For some, they they point to that, right? If I listen to content about this, it makes me more open to X, right? So some people are able to see that connection. Now, is it a direct connection? if I do this like across the board, no. And, you know, part of that's where the other side of my work comes in, right? When thinking about what are the things that help people to be more confident and connected, right? So, you know, people that are on a on a more positive developmental path in some areas of their life are less susceptible to some of those higher risk messages, right? Because there's other right. things that are going on for them that help them to be like, nah, it's not right. So I can just listen Maybe to environment. it. Environment plays a part, you know? If you're not in a, you know, less desirable, you know, area, you're not going to feel as threatened. So you might feel a little more open to listening to certain things, you know, it, it's it, it's different, I think, for those type of people. And then for someone who's living a very dangerous life, listening to that kind of music might just be how they connect to their lifestyle. Yeah, for some, you know, that that, that may be like a validation of, and, and, it, and it gets complicated, right? So for some, it may be like, I just want somebody to understand what I see and what I go through. Whereas for another person, they might say, you know, they might be doing it not just for the validation, but they may want to promote a, an image of themselves in a certain way or align with an image that 
you know, make make them feel powerful, right? That's where it gets complicated, right? In yes. Esteems, right? So yes. when you think about the esteem, a lot of the esteem messages that are in there, you know, where maybe if a person feels victimized or not so confident about themselves, it helps them to feel powerful by either promoting this image or aligning with this image. Um, and so that's empowering, but it's also risky because of everything that goes along with that, right? So, right, of course, yeah. Absolutely. So you get the get the both sides of it, you know. It's kind of like when you go and work out. If I go work out, I so got to. What did you decide um, to get into the field of mental health? Um, uh, I, 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 did you want to finish that point and then I'll jump back in on that question? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, I was, you know, I get what you're saying. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, so mental health, uh, in short, the reason that I got into social work was because I'd, I wanted to help young people and social work is a job where you can actually, you know, do the things that you learn in psychology and sociology. You can actually do it in the world, but it's not just about, you know, psychology or, or just being a counselor. Social work is, is just as much about helping individuals as thinking about the system as a whole, right? What are things that you can do in the community to help? So you're looking at the individual and the community at the same time. Now, mental health is a big part of social work. And so I knew I wanted that component of social work. Like there are some social workers that just do administration and kind of system community level stuff, but don't work with individuals per se. But I knew I wanted to do that part too. Um, I felt like I had something to offer working one-on-one -on -one with people that I thought I had, I could make a meaningful contribution um, to that direct level work, just as much as that larger community level work. So for a lot of people, there's not a, um, you, you, get to, you get to these schools, I know I was in one, where you just didn't have all the options available to you. You know, I was either going to, make boxes like my dad or be a CNA like my mom or, you know, work at a hotel like my grandmother. You know, you just, you don't have um, the scope to see all that you can be. So in knowing that, um, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in getting into the field of mental health? Um, or becoming a licensed mental health counselor. Yeah. So, you know, real real quick context on that. I didn't I didn't know half of what was out there. When mm -hmm. I went to school, I graduating college I wanted I just wanted a job. Just straight job. So, you know, they had job fairs that went out there. Um, you know, they had all the different companies out there. I wanted to get a job with State Farm because I saw that the starting salary was $23,000 and my mom never made $20,000 in her life. That's all I, I was like, I'm good. I can make $23,000. I'm straight. And so 
you know, I don't want to pretend like I had this grand vision of like the landscape of, of all these professions, but one of the jobs, and I put out a million applications and, you know, got a couple callbacks, but never got anything. And the last job fair that I went to was a job fair slash graduate school fair. So they had both. They had jobs out there and then they had different schools out there. And I just happened to run across a school that was a, a woman uh, for the School of Social Work. She was like, hey, you ever think about social work? Nope. She's like, well, let me tell you a little about something about it. <laughs> and and I started, look, she started talking and I was like, oh, wow. I was like, so all the stuff that I learned in psychology and these sociology classes, I can like, I can do it. I can actually like do it and work with people using that stuff. She was like, yeah, you know. And so I applied and I ended up going to grad school. So, you know, my advice and particularly for, for folks that may be first generation or maybe their family or whatever is, you know, is just to be curious, you know. Uh, I think that's one of the the challenges of high schools and, and schools coming up is you don't get to see the menu of professional options until you get to college. Like, why is that? Right? Why? Why is it that I'm only you know you you go from any high school you've got maybe eight or nine classes max. You get to any college and it's like 500 majors. How is you know what I mean? And you spend four years just trying to figure out what the different majors are. It takes you usually two mm -hmm. years before you even declare a major because the first two years you're trying to figure out what what are these things, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, I think uh, I think it's it's on us as a as adults to to help introduce young people to you know just the the professional world out there. Um, the different All things opportunities out there. Exactly. Like I <laughs> honestly, I'll tell you, <laughs> if I wasn't, and I love what I do. I honestly love what I do. But I'm also a big time sports fan. If somebody would have told me that there's a job doing statistics for sports, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like I could follow, I can analyze sports and and make all these connections about like these records and you know. If you shoot three pointers from the corner that un unguarded, you have a higher percentage. Just like who wouldn't want to just break down sports all day, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Life right there. But nobody told nobody told me about that. And statistics right. and math would have been way more interested if somebody told me that back then. Yeah, right? yeah. And I, you know, I'm I'm glad you wrote the book, uh, "The Hidden Power of Hip Hop: Intersections of Race, Ethnicity, and Culture." I would advise everyone watching the show to go ahead and cop that, you know what I'm saying, because it's really I'm definitely very, that. it's definitely an important book and it's good for the culture. But I want to kind of kind of hard go back to the mental health side. Yeah. Uh one of the reasons I want to do that because in hip hop we lost a lot of giants. Uh we lost Biz Market, we lost DMX, we lost um Shock G, and we lost so many people and you know, let's be honest some of it was drug related, but there also was some pre-existing mental health issues that were happening um that wasn't addressed you know we nowadays we like you know we'll promote uh young dolphin you know god bless him and you know we want to give rest may he rest in power but there's so much going on in hip-hop on the mental health side that's not really being addressed i feel 
And I think that's important. And I'm glad you're here because you are the one in the power to do so. Um, do you do you believe hip hop has the potential to heal people from mental health issues and systematic challenge? I want you to kind of speak to that in the in the context of what has happened with some of the hip hop giants that passed away recently. Yeah. So, I, you know, and rest in peace to uh, a lot of the, the lions of the culture that we have lost in uh, particularly those that uh, were lost either to senseless violence or those that, you know, were coping with significant mental health uh, uh, struggles. Uh, but, you know, I think in many ways, hip hop, and this is where the generational piece comes in. I think okay. in, in many ways, hip hop has spoken incredibly direct to uh, issues of, of mental health and anxiety and depression, uh, you know, even when we look at, you know, the the nature of how substance use is discussed in hip hop has mm-hmm. changed a little bit over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the most high risk messages of people coping with their anxiety and stuff through using substances, whether it's you know it's lean or you know Xanax or whatever, Scissor. it 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 is making plain that people are struggling emotionally. Uh, And and again, going back to, okay, that, you know, survival, how you're surviving, you know, you may be surviving through using substances, you may be surviving through a high-risk lifestyle and and things like that. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think hip-hop has actually done a service in bringing a lot of these mental health struggles to the light. And it allows us to then, have that next conversation. Okay, well, what are we doing? What are we doing to support? We know young people are struggling. And, and that's something I want to underscore as we're talking about mental health. You know, pre-COVID, the mental health trends for youth and young adults was moving in the wrong direction in a, in a really powerful way. Uh, people were struggling. And, uh, you know, when you start to break it down by different groups and gender, you know, you're talking about really significant. So if you talk about our Latinx community, um, the women, uh, uh, girls and young women, you, you know, we're talking over 40% that were uh, struggling with uh, depression. And, mm-hmm. you know, you look at, you know, suicidal ideation, like really, really significantly high numbers. And the fact is COVID only made those those worse. It exacerbated those trends. So as, as difficult as things were, it's, it's gotten only worse. So, I mean, we're talking about not just the concern, we're talking about epidemic levels of, um, of mental health concerns and, you know, mm-hmm. self-medication and substance use coping um, is a big part of that. And, you know, even this last year, we saw the highest number of overdose deaths in like 30 years. Uh, and so, so all of that is related. Um, and so, you know, hip hop is, you know, they, you know, the stereotype is that, you know, the, our generation talked about selling and the current generation talks about using, mm. you know, and, and oftentimes thing. it's in the context of using to deal with the emotional struggles and the trauma that, that they're dealing with. What do you and, think is the, the best way to bring awareness to mental health for that community. Because it's always I, like a stigma, you know? It's well, just I, like, think, you know. I, I think when you take somebody like Juice World, 
Yeah. He was very um, outspoken about mental health, even with his drug use and why he used them. But I, I don't think people of our generation really takes time to listen to the young people and they're telling us that they're struggling. And I, I think you hit it, uh, the nail on the head 100%. And people are they're scared, feel like they know what to do. Uh, maybe they have f certain feelings about um, therapy and mental health support. Um, so I think a lot of that stigma, um, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And, and that's a big part of what I, you know, why I feel like embracing the culture as a tool in our mental health work is so important, right? It doesn't need to be like this. Uh, it doesn't need to have that negative connotation, right? There's ways that we can approach well-being in a celebratory way. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Uh, there's so many things that we can do to help engage people emotionally uh, in ways that can really help them speak. So it may be creating or it may be using great art that's out there to explore, repurpose, or but but surfacing these conversations. Um, but I, a really big part, really, really, really big part that I think oftentimes is, is missing, and this is why, so I'm a shameless plug for social work here. Um, <laughs> But, That's okay. That's but okay. when we're talking about mental health, is that you know people often speak about it as this you know this the the individual like in a war and they have to sort of single handedly emotionally figure it all out um, and not really uh, are addressing the trauma inducing environments within which that people are dealing with. Right. So you can do that. That's why I moved from. That's why I did my doctor work in, in public health was this recognition that the communities that we are creating through our policies and a lot of, a lot of those things are, are, are unjust, are inequitable and are trauma inducing, right? So we're creating mm -hmm. conditions that people are dealing with trauma on a day-to-day -day basis. And we have to be able to address some of those things at the same time as we're helping people to cope and, and manage. We can't do one without the other. Um, so, so, you know, and then we get into, oh, I could talk about this all day. So, you know, when, when, you know, that question about neuroplasticity, uh, yes, we yeah. talked about that, that was introduced earlier, you know, a big part of that is us understanding that every relationship that we have, every interaction that we have with someone else is an opportunity to contribute to healing, right? So neuroplasticity is how our brain is changed as a result of our interaction with our environment. That includes people-to-people -people interactions, right? So I have to understand as a friend, as a parent, as a teacher, as a coach, as an uncle, as an aunt, as a cousin, that every interaction that I have with a young person has the potential to contribute to them being well or having to cope with one more thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so 
hip hop is healing, but our relationships with each other is healing. Yes. And, and every interaction is meaningful. And so, you know, so getting back to the music, right? So hip hop is great because it speaks to the lived experience. Like you can listen to a mix of songs and it's speaking about a thousand different aspects of everybody's day-to-day experience. So everything that we listen to, we have the ability to evaluate how we are going to engage the next person that we interact with. Right. It's, you know what I mean? Like it's practice. It's, 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 and so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, anyway, back to the, the, these mental health challenges that we're having, um, you know, it, it can sound hokey or whatever, but, you know, a big part of it is just understanding our role in relationship with other people. Um, that's what we have to have a commitment to. We have to have a commitment to our collective well-being um, and realizing that we help contribute to the environment that young people are growing and developing in. And COVID is COVID yeah. is throwing a haymaker on society. And, you know, and we see it reflected in the trends. It ruffled but the, feathers. COVID ruffled a lot of feathers. Yeah, yeah, it did. And so, you know, what we see as far as like, I don't know if the question was specific to the Black community, um, but those trends are, are reflective of the trauma-inducing environment that many people find themselves in. You know, it's, they go hand in hand. Trauma is trauma. And trauma persists, right? Trauma doesn't go away, um, or at least it takes a lot of work, you know? Mm -hmm. I think the hardest part about COVID was you were stuck there. You were stuck in your trauma. There was nowhere to get out of it. You, You had to deal with it. So knowing that, and where we're at now, how do you, what do you suggest that people do in order to um, first really get rid of the stigma that our communities just, they just naturally have with the medical field in general, but for some reason, psychiatry is is something that really has a stigma in our community. What can we do to kind of change that? Yes. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, all of these all of these places where stigma exists are there for a valid reason. Mm-hmm. Um there've been that the history in, in all of these systems um you can point directly to injustices and inequities and exploitation right so 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 it's understandable um and so it makes it that much more important for people to be able to connect with providers that are are trustworthy um and so you know and that's not easy um but i i think telling the story of sick telling success stories uh, is valuable and meaningful because that can help people see that 
you know, somebody else was helped um, in a way that I didn't think that maybe they would have been. So people uh-huh. giving their testimonials of positive experiences and sharing their observations of people that were able to get help and support in ways that was meaningful for them, I think mm-hmm. is very, very powerful. Uh, I think people that are in provider roles, being willing to get out there and talk about their work and to talk about, uh, but validating people's fears and anxieties and worries, uh, but also validating their live their environmental realities. That's the other part too. Um, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, I'm in the educator role. So, you know, in educating soon to be social workers, you know, mm-hmm. validate, validate, validate. I speak about that constantly, right? People have to know that you have an understanding of the challenges that they face on a day-to-day basis in the immediate, but also the historical challenges that, that they're bat- battling, um, you know, uh, psychiatry and medication, that's that's a tough one, right? Um, there's all sorts of issues around medication, you know, whether it's a good thing or not a good thing and over-medication and, and you know, and things like that. Um, that's a very real challenge. Uh, but, uh, but again, it's, it has been successful for, you know, for some people, it's not for everybody. Uh, and again, it's, you know, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hip hop culture has a huge opportunity in you know this the discussion here, and I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think is um, as yet undiscovered. You know, my idea is that you could go into into any c- city, and you know, you could look through a portfolio of of people that you know, use hip hop in their work. You know, this one does this approach and that one does that approach and this one does that approach, right? That's that's what I see. And then that that's something that can speak directly to, you know, or cultural reality. Um, you know, I focus, for example, I focus a lot on lyrics, on an- analyzing pre-existing lyrics. I do work in the other stuff and help people create, mm-hmm. uh, but I also do some DJ stuff. You know, we just started a, a we introduced this idea of therapeutic mixtapes. That's it's just a it's there's lots of reasons why oh. they could be beneficial. Um, I, that's something that I've done personally for myself and make mixes. And it's like, well, other people could do that too, and it could be helpful for them too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's a million different things that people could do creatively. There are dancers. There's people that do graffiti and that do art, right? So, mm-hmm. so you know, that's that's an idea. It's, it's something that could be from the culture that would be non-stigmatized and creative, act, you know, actionable, uh, but there could be a hundred different ways of doing it. Um, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to, to renegotiate our relationship with mental health. I think the other side of it too is, you know, when we talk about, again, back to my whole reason for kind of shifting the direction of my work, if we move our discussion from only trying to prevent the bad stuff, right? Prevent, you know, these the, these bad things in mental health, uh, as to thinking about ways that we can kind of optimize our our emotional well being. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that reframe may be a different way of thinking about, you know, how we want to invest in 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 the lives of young people. Last point, see, y'all got me going. 
Last one. <laughs> so we, we, we said it was a conversation, so that's what we have. <laughs> the last one, a lot of times these conversations are about um, young people, right? When we think hip-hop, we think hip-hop and youth. The reality is hip-hop is about to be 50 years old, right? And so if we can move some of these conversations up to older generations, Mm-hmm. use the culture with older generations, then maybe you'll have some modeling that goes on at the same time, right? You see older people that are, you know, using the culture in ways that are helpful and then they can have a different, you know, it's like a lot of times people, parents struggle in school. So when it comes time for their kids to go to school, you know, they have kind of a, a, a you know, a, a iffy relationship with schools because those anxieties are passed on. But if we can do some kind of reframing of, about our relationship with promoting our own mental well-being, you know, then maybe that can help with young people. And I actually see it. I actually see a lot of, you know, we have college students um, that I work with, undergrad students, and I see a very different relationship with mental health and help seeking with the newest college students compared to, you know, 10 years ago. Um, I think it's a lot. It has a lot to do with our generation, um, Generation X, as they like to call us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not claiming Generation X, but you can. <laughs> we didn't have those kinds of. Um, we didn't have those kind of outlets to be emotionally vulnerable. You know, we and have space. We didn't have the space. And I think we kind of overcompensated sometimes <laughs> in our um, not wanting to traumatize them as much as we were traumatized. But how do you suggest that we get um, this generation who is so closed off because, I mean, we just are. Um, to open up and kind of um, see how important and impactful it can be if they opened up and gave a little bit of the history and not be, be so judgmental of the softness that we have um, introduced into them because it was so hard for us. That's that's a million dollar question. You know, you you hit on a, a just a crucial point, right? Because you know, we we had to suck it up and deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. And in many ways, the people that have been able to be successful or you just think of themselves as successful, you kind of attach it to that, right? It's it's almost like a badge of honor. Right. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with it. I had to grind. I had to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm here and I'm I'm me. Uh, and oftentimes that's, you know, that's our winning formula. Right. That's that's our lottery ticket. Um, and so. To deny that, then what does that say? You know, like, <laughs> what do we have to admit to if if we say that, you know, actually looking back on it? Maybe that wasn't the greatest thing in the world. You know, that's a tough 
proposition for a lot of people to take on. Um, and so, you know, so you're running into that now, oftentimes where that, that ability to get there happens is usually through some sort of life experience or something happens and people are forced to kind of renegotiate their identity and, and things like that. Um, and then they do kind of come around. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, that I try to do is, you know, when I introduce, you know, if we're talking about professionals or teachers or youth workers or parents is to try to introduce the concept of the life course and how things that happen earlier in life, you know, have the ability to kind of show up in different ways later on. Um, kind of like just, your childhood is going to affect, you know, how you live your life as an adult. Right. And so if, if, if we're having certain, you know, if we're raising young people to, to think a certain way, let's think about how might that play out mm -hmm. later on, you know, um, in hopes that, you know, that they understand that they have a, a really significant, again, going back to that neuroplasticity point, right? These relational experiences are extraordinarily powerful. So not to get too too much on the sciencey side of things, but so on the non-hip hop side of my work, um, you know, looking at kind of what research is out there and, and the way that, you know, we've been able to kind of figure out what's important in well-being. I have a model that's called empowerment-based positive youth development. And, and basically what it's saying is that at the heart of the things that we have seen that or have shown to be important for young people's development, it relates to grades, it relates to, you know, all the good things we want to see. At the heart of it is positive, supportive relationships, one-on-one -on -one relationships, and also positive reinforcing communities. That community could be a family, it could be a team, it could be a club, it could be a church, right? But those are at the heart and they and and it reinforces everything. And we know that even if people have difficulties with parents and things like that's the like the sort of the main one. But even if that doesn't work out, they can have other relationships that kind of can fill in the gaps and things like that. And, and the reason that that's important is because like we literally every day we have the ability to have a positive impact on young people's lives, no matter who it is, whoever, whoever you see, if it's the neighbor's kid or whatever, right? You have exactly. the ability to validate their reality, say yes. something positive, let them know you care about them, you're interested in them. And that is so important. Say you know? something inspiring. Yeah, exactly. I care about you. I see you. You know. Yes, what I, mean? I see you. That's a very, that's a very strong and powerful thing to say to someone. Yeah, and so you know, I think for us as a community, like, yeah, we want to, we want to change. You know, we want to change all these policies. We want to do all that stuff, uh, but we we have the ability to start with the small things that are actually probably more important than all those other things. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, you get to the heart of it. 
Um, so I think we, you know, and so I think at least for me in the work of how we use hip hop is just to use it as a spotlight on all the things that we know are important for health and well-being for ourselves and for the people that we care about. You know, um, we can do it on our own just by listening on our own. We could do it in a more structured way with a professional that has some ideas about how we might have some discussions and activities. Um, We can create in the community of people that are doing similar things. Um, But, you know, hip hop cultures are great because, you know, like most Def said, you know, hip hop is going where we're going, you know? So if we're intentional about the culture, then the culture will move in a positive way. Yeah, so, let, let me, because this is another question that's kind of been on my mind, especially we're raising kids and uh, it, it was a struggle for, for me to find the balance of, I want to protect you, but I don't want you to uh, have, I don't want it to affect your self-esteem. So when we have these conversations about um, how to react with the police, what are you supposed to do, you know, if you get pulled over and um, you have to work twice as hard in order to get ahead? I always struggle with, are we, um, are we adding trauma just in trying to keep them safe? That's a, that's a great question. In the book, I talk a little bit about that distinction, right, between particularly in, in, in how we socialize our kids, right? Okay. So there's that tension of all the things that you're talking about of preparing young people for the realities, the harsh realities that society has, particularly for people of color, particularly for people that identify as Black. Uh, you don't want them to be caught off guard and surprised and get caught up in in stuff and, you know, because we know how bad it can turn out uh, and we know the harsh realities of it. So there's that one part. But what's important to to, to think about in addition to those things is you know, if if those are the messages in isolation, the risk that you run is that that's what people identify as as being part of this community, right? I'm a part of a community that is victimized and treated unfairly and all of those things. If that's the totality of the message, then you run a risk of kind of internalized oppression and just sort of a negative view of mm-hmm. but if you couple that message with you come from a, a long line of leaders and innovators and powerful people that have overcome the harshest of challenges and have made all these great contributions to society and are proud and you know if, if you couple it with those affirming messages about the culture so that it's mm-hmm. not a culture of 
of just exploitation and victimization, but mm -hmm. it's actually a really rich and powerful culture that I am proud to be a part of, then you you buffer against that that risk that, you know. Um, so that's what's important is affirming the culture. That's that sense of community that we want to build in um, in our young people, make, help them feel a part of something to be proud of. Um, that will that actually reinforces a whole bunch of other things, right? Because mm -hmm. then you start to, okay, well, wow, you know, there are role models that I can look up to as a part of this community, right? There mm -hmm. are things that I can identify with, that I can aspire to, uh, right? So we're given these positive examples of this community or multiple communities that I identify with. So it may not just be of Black people, but it may be of Black women or of mm -hmm. Black women um, that were from the South that migrated to the North or, you know what I mean? Like you have these intersecting identities that you can- or from the North. Right, exactly. Right, you can scaffold these positive identities mm -hmm. that help then. So, oh, wow, I know that. Okay, and by the way, when you're out, you may run into these situations, right? But so those situations don't threaten my sense of self. My sense of self has already been established before I walked out the door. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so then you don't have to worry about you can prepare them for all that kind of stuff, right? Um, that's just prevention, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but it's it does it's not a threat to their identity. And I'm thinking about what you just said about prevention. Um, and I think about you know the song from DMX Slipping because that's one of the songs that I listen to whenever I have one of those down moments oh, to I provide some song. level to provide some level of comfort. Because yes. I feel there's authenticity in there. But he was a man, you know, he was a person that went through things, but he shared his experiences on wax. So being that you wrote the book, um, I want you to share based on your experiences or based on your research, what are some examples of albums or songs that could be used in hip hop music to help a person heal? My my song was slipping and there were others, but I'm, I'm sure that you can speak to that because I think that would be good for our audience. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we we can go all day, but but okay. I'm glad you brought up slipping, right? So, one of the things that's that that I I try to help kind of talk about when thinking about hip hop is that we have these, you know, sort of the canon of hip hop, mm -hmm. right? These these classic songs that really set the template for everything that's come after so mm -hmm. you talk about dmx slipping right that's that's a it's a classic resilience track mm -hmm. right it's it's a go-to it's one that will last forever right because it was one of the first in such a powerful way to really like all these mental health things right to lay it all out right how about biggie suicide yeah that was another so, deep one yeah so we've got these classic songs you know, we talked about the message earlier, mm -hmm. the message, uh, right? The breaks, uh, those are all classic resilience songs. So, I mean, I didn't talk as much. So there's really five areas okay. that we talk about with empowerment. So there's esteem, resilience, growth, community, and change, right? So you'll hear those themes over and over again. When we talk about esteem, we're talking about feeling better, our emotions, our feelings. 
when we talk about resilience, we're talking about doing better, right? Whatever adversity challenges going on and overcoming and coping. So we're talking about doing better. We talk about growth. We're talking about being better as a person, right? Being the best version of ourselves. It's not just about coping and surviving. It's, it's about thriving. That conversation we were talking about earlier, right? So that's esteem, resilience, growth. Those are those are what I call individual empowerment themes. Mm-hmm. So those okay. are things you're, that are about you coping, managing to be the best version of yourself. And the the edge of growth is where it becomes not just about you, is that you start thinking about others, right? So at the the at the edge of growth is is role modeling and mentorship. So part of me being the best version of myself is not just focusing on myself. It's starting to think about others, you know, maybe a sibling or, you know, but it's beginning to think about myself. You know, it's kind of, you know, you're focusing so hard, kind of looking at yourself, you begin to kind of lift your head and look around you. That's growth. And then that moves into community, which is about better belonging, right? So the different groups that I'm a part of. It could be your family. It could be, you know, your your racial identity. It could be your gender. It could even be your, you know, your gang, your set, your clique, right? Mm-hmm. Those are those are potentially empowering communities that you're a part of. You know, you're you're affirmed, you feel safe, you feel a part of something. And then the last category is change, which is about better conditions for a community that you care about, right? Um, so we see those all the time. And each one of those areas has these classic songs that sort of set the blueprint for okay. everything that we hear after. So, right. you know, we could we could go, you know, thinking about, okay, so let me see. Yeah, let's, classic. Let's, let's name some of them. I'm interested yeah. to see what your take yeah. on it. So some of the all classic right. esteem tracks, you think okay. about KRS-One, My Philosophy. Oh, yeah, you're talking. Right? Yeah, that's Special right. Special Ed, I Got mm-hmm. It Made. Mm-hmm. Um, De La Soul, yeah. me, me, myself, and I, right? Okay. Those are things that are people are talking about themselves as individuals trying mm-hmm. to claim how they see themselves and they show up in the world. Okay. Uh, we talk about resilience. We talked already about that, like the message, um, uh, Talib Kweli, Get By. Oh, yes. Um, uh, let's see, yeah, DMX, we have Slip In. Um, let me see what else. Eric B and Rakim know the ledge. I don't know. Yes. If you have soundtrack. Um, we talk about growth. You know, again, that's about being the best version of ourselves, but a lot of like mm-hmm. mentorship, role modeling, sort of helping the next generation songs that are there. So you think about Nas, like mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. You think about Slick Rick, Hey Young World. Yeah, that's right? these are songs that are yeah, they're mm-hmm. talking to the next generation. Don't make mm-hmm. these mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's so it's not just about you, right? You've learned your lessons and you're trying to, but then you're also trying to pass those jewels on, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when you think about community, again, this is a better sense of belonging. Some of the classic tracks like Latifa, U N I T Y, right? Um, Common, I used to love her. Black Star, Respiration. Okay. Uh, right. So those are classic. Those are the blueprints for those themes of empowerment. 
you mm -hmm. get into change, you're talking about better conditions for the community that you care about. Mm -hmm. So some of the classics you can think of, Public Enemy, Fight the Power. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about Stop the Violence uh, earlier, right? Yeah, Self-destruction, so. mm -hmm. um, Dead Prez, Hip Hop, mm -hmm. yep. right? So there's these yep. classic songs that are about social change. But those are the blueprint. But every day, there's new songs that come out. So I've mm -hmm. got like... I've got playlists of like hundreds of songs in each of those areas. Mm -hmm. And that literally every Friday when new albums come out, you just go through and add them too, right? So mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about Juice World earlier, like Wishing Well. That, mm -hmm. That's a classic esteem track. I don't know if you heard that one. Mm -hmm. um, Corday has a new one out, Dream and Color. Okay. Uh, uh, let me see what other new ones do we have out. I love how we can all relate on the classics. Like we all were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm yeah. with you on the new ones. Like, like everyone here, I know <laughs> well, we all were quiet, but we were all like, yep, that's the but one. You know, you that's know what? You know what? I'm with, I'm with you on the new ones because I, ones uh, mm -hmm. I have a twenty-year-old, and we do a song exchange. So every every month or so we'll exchange artists she'll listen to um she'll she'll listen to jaru the damager and then i'll listen to uh that's how i got juice world that's mm -hmm. how i got pop smoke that's how i got um you know yeah. all the littles <laughs> the baby and the little yeah. finger, little bit. That's how little I listen to all of those, all of those songs. And one of the um, criteria is you can only, you can't judge, you can only critique. Mm. Just a little, you know. Yeah. What I like about it, what I don't like about it. What did you like about this one? And what are you a fan now? So, That's such a beautiful thing. That's such a beautiful thing, right? We're not judging. We're just sharing our perspective, you know? But I do have one question because I think about when you was breaking down the categories, which were great, and I love how you associated music with it. With it. Um, I think about that song Jay-Z did, the story of OJ. I wonder how that falls within your, you know, within the categories because he's talking about multiple things. One, he's talking about empowerment because he was saying how you can invest and to art and so many different things to enrich yourself and create a legacy for your kids. But he also talked about the struggles within the black community as well. Um, how would that particular song fall on your on your um, your categories that you shared earlier? Because I feel like it hit on so many points. Yeah, I'm so I'm glad you said that. That, that was a piece I guess I didn't add in the beginning, right? Those are mm -hmm. categories, but you know, mm -hmm. they, Songs have all of them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. they can have multiple uh, and oftentimes they do. They can have all. And that that really drives home the point even more. Exactly. For folks that, you know, these 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 cultural gifts are commentaries on our lived experience and are things that we can examine and reflect on ourselves. Like, right? how can I use this information in terms of what I'm dealing with or where I want to go in life? Um, but then we can also use it kind of collectively thinking about, you know, our, our community as a whole, right? So mm -hmm. they're, they're conversations with ourselves, but they're conversations among ourselves at the same time. Yeah, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a great song. Yeah, it hits on, that hits on everything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're going to slide into um, things 
things that um, are changing in the community. What about whippings? Whippings, like is in your not parents the, go out and get a switch? Not the swat on the butt. But you know, the one way you got to go, the psychological <laughs> torture, taking you your self yeah. outside and pulling the the limb Leaves off the tree off for them to beat you with. Uh, no. That's what I call whipping. I don't know what you, but that's what I call a whipping. <laughs> wait, wait, Dr. Travis is a mandated reporter, so you have to be careful with this. Yeah, yeah. of course. Of course. There's yeah. always this uh, pushback. And I, I wonder if it is because. It happened with us, and so if we admit that it's um, that it causes trauma, then we have to also assess how we were parenting. Yeah, I think that relates back to like what we were talking about earlier, right? In terms of like how we manage our emotions and how we how we coped with the, you know all the adversity that we had to cope with. You know, it forces some tough self-reflection uh that you know some people are more willing to to take on than others um and you know and that, again that's that's not an easy thing that that kind of self-work um you know you have to really be strong in, in your identity and 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 open and flexible uh and and that's something that you know not everybody is willing to take head on but it does. It, it brings it to a larger conversation about, you know, it gets back to the original question that I had about youth workers and these different organizations, right? How do you see yourself and in, in your role in the life of this developing young person, right? Um, what's important? What do I want to invest in? Uh, what is about them versus what is about me, mm -hmm. and uh, and and those are those are challenging. Um, but you know, and I think that's a big part of the reason that I got into the work and and the reason why I continue to to love the work that I do now, or at least to continue to explore these issues that I'm trying to explore now is. I really, I I really feel like I I passionately understand how delicate life is, and that we make decisions every day that have really major impacts on the lives of the people that we interact with. And the more that we can figure it out together and support each other together collectively, kind of buying into this vision that we're we're all in this to make the world a better place. Um, that's kind of what that's what I stand for. That's what I'm trying to get down with. <laughs> uh, so can you explain vicarious trauma and how that relates to the black community? I mean, like in terms of like Black Lives Matter and hip hop artists and prominent celebrities passing away younger and younger from gun violence and health issues and yeah, well, well, I 
I'm a, I'll answer it in a, in a slightly different way and, and to kind of go back to that early, early conversation about kind of trauma dumping. Um, so, so I believe that that trauma is very significant. We already talked about, we recognize what are a lot of the sources of those traumas are because of a lot of the inequities and injustices in, in society. And so I think it shows up, unfortunately, in some challenging ways within the music. Uh, one part of it was your earlier conversation about, you know, oftentimes it may show up in music because it's cathartic for people, but they, they don't really have any other way of the, dealing with it, right? They, it you know, trauma dumping was the, the term used, but, you know, another way of thinking about it is just like, it's just this cathartic release without very much thought about its potential impact. Um, and so it can, one negative result could be the sort of ruminating in it, in it without any path out of it. And a lot mm -hmm. of times people don't realize that that's what's happening. And so for us as helping professionals, we can help people say, okay, all right, it's great that we got this out, um, but now let's figure out a path forward through it, find some other supports and things like that. Um, the flip side of that also is if that is marketed as a product for other people's entertainment without any attempt to reduce these trauma-inducing environments or mm -hmm. provide any kind of support, then that becomes a type of trauma porn, right? Where it's mm -hmm. trauma that is just out there for other people's entertainment without consideration to how harmful it is. And back in our other conversation earlier about how just risk is, is so unevenly distributed in society that you know, the, the likelihood of addressing that trauma in any real way, you're just actually maybe exacerbating and making it worse because mm -hmm. it's, it's this product that's commodified and it's sold as sort of this authentic reality. It's authentic, but it's kind of like that conversation of like, I can't remember the exact quote and I'm going to butcher it, but you know, if you only report the arrows, but you know, not where I can't get it, but basically, if you, if you, it's okay. If you, if you only give a piece of the picture and you don't give the full context, then yes. it's more harmful than, than helpful. I think at the end of the day, there's always going to be bad apples. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And if you focus on that, then, you know, you don't understand. You can't focus on that. But it's going to happen. You just have to know to, you know, move past it. Yeah. See, so, I got me talking. I just, I could talk forever on this stuff. I love it. <laughs> no, you're doing great. I love it. I love it. Honestly, wanna, it's been inspiring, like listening to you. I'm like, whoa. Like, I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about your book real quick, because we definitely want to give you opportunity to expound on it. Yes. Um, tell us, and, and again, I, I would encourage any of the person, anybody that's listening to the show right now, go ahead and purchase the book. But tell us about 
the book you have written, the title and a brief, descri well, brief description of what it's about. I know we kind of touched on some of the themes throughout the um, interview or the conversation we had, but I just want to kind of speak more specifically to it. That way we can bring more of the substance of the book out to the audience. Absolutely. So the book is called The Healing Power of Hip Hop, and it was really written with two audiences in mind. It okay. was written for the hip hop head like us who just loves the culture is you know, live and breathe the culture. It's a part of our lives, not in some intellectual academic sense. It's a part of our lived experience. But also for the person that would be like, hip hop, like how can hip hop be helpful, right? It's just noise. It's just, you know, music. Uh, the person that has no familiarity at all with any potential positive aspect of the culture. And okay. I wanted it to touch the, for both. For the hip hop head, I wanted to give a language and structure to what we all know instinctually, right? Mm -hmm. We know that hip hop has been beneficial for us and it has helped us through the most difficult times. It has helped us, it has been with us in the most celebratory of times. Mm -hmm. uh, and just been part of our life is this, you know, like I said before, this renewable resource that we could always draw upon on any given time. And for, so I wanted to really have that language and structure. This is how and why it is helpful. This is why it's helpful in education in the classroom. This is why it's helpful in mental health and therapy. This is why it's helpful when we think about physical health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's helpful when we think about after school and, you know, out of school time, summer programming, things like mm -hmm. it's used in these spaces in very specific ways. And it's helpful because X. I also wanted to be able to identify these empowering dimensions, right? There's these specific ways that we engage the culture for better. Uh, there are things that are more individual focused. Um, and then there are things that are more community focused. And that's important, right? It's helpful for both for us as individuals, as well as the communities that we care about. So I wanted to give a, a real concrete language and structure to that with examples. Okay. I also wanted to shine a light on, on this idea of hip hop as a culture, right? Okay. More than just what we hear on the radio. Mm -hmm. So we know the five elements, uh, you know, DJing and mm -hmm. MCing and b-boying, graffiti. Yeah, that's right. And but wanted to underscore the concept of knowledge of self as well, right? Mm -hmm. This this constant self-reflection and looking outwards as mm -hmm. a piece of the culture, right? We mm -hmm. can't separate that. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's in many ways, that's the engine mm -hmm. behind what is right, what mm -hmm. is empowering. We our willingness to constantly look at ourselves and have a commentary on what's going on. That's something that's so unique, right? Mm -hmm. You have other songs and musical forms that kind of, you know, they'll talk about things, but hip hop is always constant, is, is dealing with reality now. It's mm -hmm. time specific. It's always a commentary on something that's going on in society, mm -hmm. right? So it's always, 
you know, developmental in some way, right? It speaks mm -hmm. to people's lived experience. So I wanted to provide a real concrete language and structure. So when people talk about how is hip hop helpful? Oh, it's helpful because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to be able to speak to the two sides of how it can be helpful and how it could be potentially harmful, right? That we can't mm -hmm. get caught up in just the empowering side because we have to have some level of accountability. I like that. In, in terms of how we accountability present, you know, uh, we have accountability for ourselves and we have accountability for us as a people, right? It, mm -hmm. There's a racial component to the book, right? It's yes. specific about the black experience, not to the exclusion right. of others, but talking about like what is unique about the black experience in relation to hip hop. And so there's a huge part in there. You know, when I wrote it, it was on the heels of uh Trayvon Martin and yes. I could just tell not that I have like some unique grand insight but <laughs> okay. part of what I observed was this is a new thing for youth mm -hmm. this the way that they're having to deal with this law enforcement these killings mm -hmm. you know visual on the news and on phone right it's like Obviously, these things have gone on forever, mm. but but it's qualitatively different for this newer generation. And it's the thing, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, Black Lives Matter was starting at that time. But like I everything that I observed at the time was like, this is new for them. Mm -hmm. It relates to a lot of stuff that we had. And I am able to talk about historically, whether it's Rodney King and okay. just kind of going back. I'm gonna do Diallo and all that kind of stuff, but mm -hmm. but this is a, a new version of that, mm -hmm. you know, and that is something that they will have to negotiate in a different kind of way, and hip hop is a part of that. Okay, and so so that was a little bit of a a, a newer kind of take on things, mm -hmm. and so you know, so that was all kind of for the hip hop heads, for the uh, for other folks. It was also introducing a, a language and a structure, but I tried to, you know, there's certain things that you can talk about that, like, you know, you say, oh, DMX slipping. I know exactly what it is. I know, mm -hmm. you know, but for a person maybe that's not familiar and then you have to sort of spell out a little bit. Okay, well, mm -hmm. why is that particular thing significant? So there's mm -hmm. a little bit more explanation throughout mm -hmm. the book for the person that's not familiar with the culture and the history and things like that. Okay. Um, but I really wanted it to be for both audience. Um, and I saw it as a celebration of the culture, honestly. Like, look, mm -hmm. you know, you know, look, Ma, no hands. You know, yeah, what I mean? like, yeah, I like, like <laughs> this, is, this yeah. is how far we've come, you know. And I shouted out, there were a lot of people I call, you know, hip hop cultural ambassadors and basically mm -hmm. wanted to highlight that there are people that are professionals in like these, you know, really great professional leadership roles that are anchoring their work in hip hop culture, right? So in education, right? How, how we use hip hop in the classroom, right? So shaping a whole new generation of educators to recognize the value of hip hop in the classroom. And we have these people that are in mental health and therapy, you know, these great leaders that are helping to prepare the next generation of mental health professionals, right? So in all these different sectors, we have these cultural ambassadors uh, 
that are not just doing it because they learned about it, it's because they lived it and understand how to apply it within their you know, domain of influence in their profession that, that they have. Um, so that was a big part of it too. Um, you know, just to highlight, this is not, it's not something that's interesting and fun. You know, how do you, how do you want to see hip hop pro, you know, progress? Like what do you see the future with hip hop? You know, well, I can say one of the things that I'm inspired by and happy about. Uh, and I, I think this aligns with where I wanted to see it go. Like, unfortunately, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> and none of us are, okay? <laughs> you say I'm about to be 44. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, but I want to see the next generation. Mm-hmm. take what the what we have learned from the culture um, mm-hmm. and take it to the next level. Um, okay. But really embrace the most empowering, like really treat it as a culture, you know? I, and I think we're so close. I think, and, you know, we talked about the globalization of it. I think that has made it very helpful because in a lot of these other places, they just embrace it as a culture, right? So we we have a lot of baggage here because of the history of the United States that gets uh-huh. kind of wrapped up in there. But in other places, it's just appreciated as a culture. And I think that can help just reinforce the the, the most empowering aspects of it. And, you know, you know, like I said earlier, I'd love for, you know, us to be able to, to plop down in Dallas and be like, yeah, you know, there's 30, there's 30 hip hop um, right? therapists and 30 hip hop educators around the city. Let's go. Um, these five focus on DJing and producing. Mm-hmm. These 10 focus on visual art uh, and these focus on lyrical analysis, right? Mm-hmm. To, you know, and you can yep. go where you I need to that. go. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, that's that's really where I'd like to see it, and 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 I think back to your or some of the earlier points that y'all made around the mainstream. I think mm-hmm. you know that's the part that gives me the most heartache mm-hmm. around the culture is how limiting um, what people are exposed to in the mainstream, and I think it's something that we have to deal with in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. I think the like the Sirius XM Rock the Bell station, the LL station. Yes. I think they're doing a really good job of trying to elevate hip hop as a culture, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just playing old classic hip hop songs. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think there's some value in that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. I do, do, I do. You know what I, I think about what you said because we look at conferences or hip hop conferences, and you you know you hear about the the elements which you broke down. A moment ago but you don't really i I would love to see a mental a mental health segment or panel um because i feel like that can could have helped some of the um hip-hop giants or lions that i mean lions that passed away is that we provided those services you know Mm -hmm. one of the things i thought about is that maybe we could have like a type of health insurance for you know hip-hop artists when they get to a certain point even you know just to have some available to them but and, and that would include mental health 
But I, 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 I brought that up because you did mention about hip hop, where you would like to see hip hop go. Where would you like to see mental health um, go in the next three to five years or just what would you like to see happen on that end? Yeah, and I, I want to underscore what you said about like helping out the OGs of the culture. That That's so important. Uh, if we could create some sort of research, there should be some sort of revenue sharing, obviously, uh, honestly, for the legends of the game. Um, there's too much money in the industry for the people that created the culture not to be celebrated and exactly. and compensated, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as 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 hip hop, I mean, as far as mental health goes, um, and I think we're kind of getting there. Um, obviously, I think a big part of including more creative arts in the mental health, I think okay. is, I, that's number one. I would love to see more um, creative arts integrated into mental health. Um, and I think that we have a severe just shortage of mental health providers in the various places that young people are in, right? So oftentimes it'll be like one social worker shared amongst three elementary schools or four elementary schools, right? We need mental health professionals in schools and not just one. We need we need mental health professionals in schools because we've created a society where, um, you know, we've been talking about it all night that is with environments that are trauma inducing. And we, the, our young people need the support. There's just no excuses about it. They need the support and we have to have them in, um, in schools and after school programs and summer pro that was one of the research studies that I did recently. I was, I was just helping a program evaluate themselves and we found that, you know, a third of the kids were depressed <laughs> over the summer. They were focused on oh. academic mm-hmm. academics wow. and summer, wow. summer learning loss, but they weren't thinking about mm-hmm. at all about the emotional um, support for those young people. And um, so that's a big part of uh, what I would hope to see in mental health is more, more support for our young people. Okay, thank you. So when 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 I became a nurse, I became a nurse because um, I've been to the hospital and it was very few and far between that I would find a nurse or a doctor or anybody that looked like me. How important is it to have help have mental health professionals that look like you and know your struggle and can see things from your point of view. I think it's incredibly meaningful to have that that cultural alignment. Um, I don't think it has to be that. Um, I think there are, are natural there are things that if you are of a culture of any culture, there are going to be things that you can identify with that you understand instinctually. You didn't have to learn in a textbook or however you learn that are going to provide some level of privilege in your ability to engage and build rapport quicker um, for the person to feel safe quicker. Um, and so those are things that are unavoidable and are, are an absolute privilege to be able to have. 
um, at the same time. And this is, you know, as an educator, that's a big part of, of what I try to, to get across with my students is if you're an emerging professional, your job is to stay curious and to do your homework and trying to provide some level of depth to your understanding of a person's lived experience. And I always give the example of me, you know, I identify as black and I also identify strongly with it. it, When I say identify, consider myself um, and try to be an ally uh, with a lot of different brown communities. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, uh, I'm not of Latinx culture. I'm not a Native American culture. Um, and as much as I want to align myself and be down, and um, I have so much to learn about those communities, mm-hmm. and 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 I can't pretend otherwise. Uh, even right. though all of my work is around trying to be supportive of. of those communities as, as often marginalized groups. So, um, so I, I always give that example to say like, you know, I could pretend I'm, you know, I've got it all figured out, but I don't, you know, I have to work and try. Uh, and so, um, but I, but I'm committed to it. That's I'm committed to that. And so that's the same thing that, that they have to do if they're working with groups that they're, they're not a part of. Uh, and there are some people that are are really good at it and are are able to do their homework and are able to you know experientially live their lives so that they have a better grasp of of what people go through. Um, but but to your original point, you know there aren't as many mental health professionals as there need to be um, serving our communities, and there aren't enough educators in the classrooms and. There aren't enough people in uh, positions of authority where decisions are made. Um, so it can be it can be very problematic at times when you know you don't see a face that looks like you, but you're in a situation where you have to sort of trust the process with them, whether it's in the classroom or on the court or in, you know wherever it is. Um, so yeah, you bring up some really important points. So last month was um, Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. And statistics have shown that African-American males in particular have had a spike in suicide rates. And the rate has actually doubled within the past year of the pandemic, right? So what factors do you think have contributed to this spike and increase in suicide rates, particularly among African-American males? Um, there are people that that do this work, and so I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, to um, without having sort of the latest trends in front of me, I don't have it. But there are some great researchers out there, like Sean Joe and and some others that specialize in in suicide suicidality in, in the black community. Um, and so that's a good place to kind of follow up for the exact like statistics and trends and causal things, but. Um, I feel like a piece of it, and we touched on some of this earlier, uh, where, you know, we're very precarious times as far as, you know, what society is throwing at us. Um, 
and you know we we know what contributes to well-being um, and we know that there are disparities in all of those areas whether we're talking about education disparities financial disparity wealth disparities you know um, health transportation housing right so there are all of these forces that people are trying to manage um, and people are in very you know uh, desperate situations and you know traumatic situations and and that that's that's a lot you know that's a lot of uh, pressure and it can contributes to stress uh, we know that stress is not we know stress compounds, right? So stress builds upon itself over time, kind of the snowball effect. Um, we know what anxiety does. We know what depression does. Um, and again, we were talking earlier about self-medication and coping through substance mm-hmm. use. Um, the uh, overdose, there's a lot of overdose deaths. Um, so, you know, uh, so I think there's a lot of accidental um, deaths mixed up in there uh, with people coping as well. Um, but, you know, people are in very desperate situations. Um, and again, COVID has just exacerbated a lot of that and has made it worse uh, for a lot. So I, I think a lot of those things, um, I think a lot of those things factor in and, it's 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 a really difficult, you know, um, and you know we need we need support, we need validation, people need a way out, and um, I think that's a a big part of what you know all of our conversation today is like, you know, how we how can we kind of move that forward? Because I know you know as a black woman. I know that I have these different support groups and different um, things. You know, if if I'm having an issue, I have resources and places to go um, that addresses them. Are we doing um, our young Black boys and men a disservice by not having those um, elements readily available for them where they um they have these resources and places to go um where they're uplifted i think there's a lot more attention to that now um Mm -hmm. than there has been in the past i think you hit the nail on the head with something that people are kind of waking up to um, a little bit more and trying to address that specifically. Um, There's still a lot of work for sure. Uh, But yeah, I think that is definitely one of the strategies that will be very helpful uh, is recognizing that, you know, young men need a safe space where they can process some of these things. Um, Again, going back to our, the stigma piece before, uh, where you know the sooner the better we can destigmatize getting help and support. And again, I think yes, I think moving it from if we can slightly reframe it of uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, how do we create positive, supportive communities, right? So it doesn't necessarily be how do we create a place where you can go talk about your problems, right? But how can we create positive, safe spaces for young people to be with each other, to connect? Um, that's what we need, right? And how can we create more opportunities for people to have positive, supportive relationships, right? That's where that's where the healing comes. We we definitely need places where people can process their stuff and kind of work through it. Yeah, place for them to be expressive. Exactly, and the more that we see that that that's necessary, then you know, when we do our summer programs with the young people and we do music based stuff, we don't say we know that this. Oftentimes, when people participate in these things, their stress goes down, their anxiety mm -hmm. goes down. Their depressive symptoms go down. We know that, but we don't advertise it as, hey, come go come to this depression group. You know. <laughs> it's like, come, let's let's make some music. Let's do some stuff, right? We yeah. we know that, you know, creating this a nice, healthy, safe environment where people can get to know each other and participate and create together. We know that that's where the magic happens. And I know that if you know, when I interact with them every day, I'm giving them my best. I'm I'm affirming them. I'm celebrating them. Right. I know the magic that comes from that. And so, you know, the, the more that we can recognize that that's the way that we can handle a lot of these things. We don't necessarily need to say this is a therapy group and this is going to help these, mm -hmm. you know, suicidal ideation. We know we know the healing power of relationships. You know, we're relational beings. Um, and we know we know what it's like to to feel like someone cares about us. We know that that's a good feeling. We know what it feels like when someone's excited that we're that to see us. We know how good that feels and how mm -hmm. affirming that is, right? So we create more of that then I think we'll be in good shape. And so when you look at um, an artist like uh, Little Nas X, right? Um, I actually, I actually just turned, turned off the video, put on his album, closed my eyes and listened to what he was saying. Um, do you think that in the hip hop community that we're doing enough listening to um, our LGBTQIA family that are also black and are also struggling? Um, how do we use hip hop that has so much of so little support for that community, how do we in, um, incorporate that, or uh, make it easier for somebody, for people like Little Nas X, to actually make music and be accepted in the hip hop community? That's. I'm not sure I have an answer per se, but I'll, I'll share some perspective on it. 
I think that that question is attached to how how do women show up in hip hop culture? Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we can do anything substantive for the LGBTQIA community that's not attached to how women are treated treated within the, the industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we spend a lot of time and and people have different feelings on this. So, you know, uh, you may ask somebody else and they have a completely mm -hmm. different perspective on it. So, you know, we think about, and again, it goes back to the mainstream versus the rest, right? Because there are, there are vibrant mm -hmm. communities within hip hop culture that are, are all about LGBT, or that are that are predominantly LGBTQ hip hop communities out there, um, and are creative and fine and vibrant and supportive in and of themselves. Um, now, once you pull out to that to the mainstream, then it's a very different environment. Um, um, but I think a lot of the struggles that we have around misogyny and, you know, treating women as property to be exploited, um, that's a major issue. <laughs> you know, that's that's mm -hmm. a huge issue. And it, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere in the mainstream. Now, there's the flip side where, um, where people say, well, uh, you know, women are able to kind of renegotiate identity and sexuality is not exploitive. It's, you know, taking control of the narrative um, and, and it's actually empowering. Um, so there are some people that feel very strongly that way. Um, and so, you know, so you have those two sides of things, but from my, from my perspective, mm -hmm. we have a, we have a long way to go in how misogyny is handled in the mainstream in hip hop culture. And until yes, there's, until that's addressed, mm -hmm. you know, Lil Nas X for the, for the, the progressive, for what we see as progressive about that message is still an outlier. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then you, you know, and then, so the next question is, well, why is that outlier allowed to, be successful? Is it because of the art? Is it because of the person that greenlighted it? Is it, you know, like, and I don't have any of those answers, but that's still, it's still a, a relative outlier. And mm -hmm. at the same time, we've got volumes and volumes of misogynistic content that's on all day, every day. Um, so I, I think we got a lot of work in that area. I, I just, I, always try to get people to um, listen to his album. I said, don't think about the stuff you don't like. Just close your eyes and listen to what he's saying because so much of what he's saying is so prolific and, and it really yes. dealt with um, his issues and his struggles and um, trying to find his way out of, dark, out of a dark place and finally accept who he is as an individual. And I think that can be an important message for anybody if you step outside of yourself, which I guess, you know, how, how do you 
get people to actually step outside of their comfort zone? You hit on, you know, those are universal truths that everybody can identify with, right? Uh, that's that's the resilience. That's the steam and resilience there, right? Like, how do I negotiate this? But he he does connect with a lot of people. He's a very successful artist. And there are a lot of people that, you know, like you said, identify with that message and it speaks to him and it, it validates their reality and gives them a voice on a major stage that they can identify with. And so, you know, uh, you, you make a really great point and that he is inspirational to a lot of people and, and will probably open the doors for uh, other artists in the mainstream uh, as well. A song with Jack Crowley, it's a good song. It's dope. He spits on that. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he he, 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 he does. really good. Yeah. I, I hate that, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the hip hop heads and they're like, oh, they, he took Nas' name. I was like, just forget all of that. Listen yeah. to what he's saying. <laughs> I say, if you listen to what he's saying, you will see why Nas got on a remix with him because he's not. Uh, the videos are wild, but the substance underneath it is so so much more than him giving the devil a lap dance. Yes, <laughs> yes, as he said it. Yep. Um, who are some of the artists you're currently listening to right now? So one of my favorite artists, I have a bunch of newer artists that I like a lot, um, but the the newest one that I, I just been bumping this album over and over again is uh, uh artist called Coda the Friend. I don't know if you mm -hmm. know Coda the Friend, but he's a, he's a, he's a dope lyricist, but he just... Uh, one of my favorite producers is Static Selector um, oh. out of New York. He's just got that classic boom bap sound. Um, so he and he does a lot with a lot of different artists. He really he really supports lyricists. So a lot of stuff that he produces has just inc the the most incredible of lyricists that he. Oh, so he's a boom bap artist. He's a he's a boom bap producer, and Coda the Friend is a is more of a boom bap artist. He's younger, but but it's more of a boom bap artist. And so Coda usually has his own producers, but he did this collab with Static Selector in the album. It's like an EP. It's like about nine tracks. It came out this year and I absolutely love that. I just play it over and over again. Um, you see me writing it down. Yeah, Coda the Friend. It's called, what's it called? To Kill, to Kill a Sunrise, I think might be the, the, the EP. Name, Is he on but. Boot Camp? No, he's not, but um I'm band camp I'm at. Yeah, yeah, I love boot camp. Um, and then I like D Smoke a lot. Um, mm -hmm. he's one of my favorites. Um, who else is out? Um uh I love Toby Ngigwe. Oh, Houston. I love Toby Ngigwe. Yeah. Um <laughs> who else? You know, you got the classics. I'm trying to think of like newer artists. Um Shay Noir. Uh, yo, yeah, I love Shay Noir. Well, yeah, anything that Apollo Brown, Apollo Brown's kind of like Static Selector. So if you mm -hmm. know, yeah, uh, Apollo produces a lot with other artists, but he's got the classic boom bap sound. 
So Static Select is similar, right? He, you'll see him on with a bunch of artists. But yeah, I love that Apollo Brown and, and Shea Noir. Um, she's got serious bars. I'm trying to look at my... Uh, so Corday, I like. Um, oh. Apollo Brown did one with Stally. He just did an album with Stally. That's yeah. a great album. Was it? Yeah, that's a really I, good one. I, I was trying to... Uh decide when I was going to listen to that album because you know sometimes Stanley can be kind of a downer <laughs> yeah yeah now I feel you on that yeah I feel you on that but this yeah this is a good one he's in, a good, a, good he's in a good okay, space I'm gonna I'm pop it in yeah another dope one that I like from this year is uh Mick Jenkins I don't know if you heard that one. Oh yeah yeah that one I like um he said something about Shout that it's going to be Spencer. his last album. He doesn't like what hip-hop is doing, so this would be his last album. Yeah. I I, I like him because it's just very unique. Like He seems like a person that's just in his own creative space. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan. And then, you know, we got the OGs that have all their stuff, like Nas and J. Cole mm -hmm. and all of them came out with stuff this year, too, so. But uh, yeah, those are some of the ones that I've been fading lately. I listen to a lot of UK stuff too. Um, they've kind of, I've been trying to just kind of peep their hip hop scene. Uh huh. Yeah, they got some stuff. But if you get the chance to listen to Thought Provoker, Thought Provoker. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely check that out. Uh, you, you're going to love him. I'm going to check that out. He, he has a boom bap sound too. But his, um his albums are conceptual and just fire. He had one of my favorite albums. Right, okay. Provoking he even has one, he even has uh EP out on uh about mental health. The shadow work is this uh is that is it thought provoker ending with the K A H at the yes. end? Okay. Uh huh. Oh, yes. I like the, I like his music. It's good. What was the album name SD told me by thought? Is Can I Rap For You and Shadow uh -huh. Work? Can yeah. I Rap For You is so dope. I like that one. Shadow Work is good, though. Yeah, Shadow Work is good. I love Shadow Work. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. But, uh, yeah, I bought his He's album on Bandcamp. His album is amazing. He's great. He's Queens, New York, St. Albans. Yep. I'm from Queens, so you know I had to, like, you know, show support. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you didn't do, uh, if you weren't in the field of mental health, you kind of touched on it, so I kind of think I know your answer. What would you be doing right now? I'd be trying to do something with sports, or I, or I'd be trying my hand as as uh, I'd be a DJ somewhere. I'd be a professional DJ. I, <laughs> I love music so much, so I yeah, I probably I probably be doing both. Oh, maybe yeah, that's what yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I DJ for the arenas for like a sports arena. You know how they have the DJ that's doing the mm -hmm. stuff at the games. That's what I would do while giving the statistics. <laughs> out. The turntable or computer? Yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> but you are. Which one, turntable or computer, or a little bit of both? Yeah, oh, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Yeah, so I um, I just, I over the last three years, 
So when I was young, back as a kid in New York, I had turntables and stuff. My dad was a DJ. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had turntables and stuff and I sold them when I went away to school. Um, I continued to make like mixtapes and stuff, but, um, and then when software came along, I did software based stuff, but I finally bought some turntables again, like three years ago. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, started messing around with beats and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, so I do both. I'm on the computer, do software stuff and regular turntables too. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, that's what I would do all day now. Like if I could, I would just make beats all day and watch sports. That would be my How name. good are you with scratching? Um, I mean, I, I old school scratch. I'm not like, you know, yeah, I have the, the way that I learned, which is really pro is not great because I, you know, you know, it's kind of like how you learn to how you learn to do anything as a kid. That's the way that sticks with you. So like I crossed ants. So I, I basically scratched with my left, regardless of which the turntable is, because uh, that was just how I learned. I never learned the right way to do it. Um, but I, I do old school scratching. So, the, you know, the traditional scratches that, you know, there was only like three or four types of scratches back in the days. You know, now uh -huh. they do all kind of stuff. I'm a huge DJ fan, though, like with. um Okay. One of the great things that came with COVID was Twitch DJ shows. So like, oh yeah, oh man. So all day I listened to to different DJs on Twitch. Um, that was the greatest thing that came out of COVID. Uh, I saw the DJs on online. So let me and ask you. DJ Jazzy Jeff was clean, clearing up YouTube. I was like, yes, I was in there. <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? You know, um, it, it's going to sound simple, but I the 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 biggest experiment in life is raising kids, right? You don't know how it's going to turn out <laughs> until the end, and you won't be around to see the end. <laughs> So, um, honestly, that's that's my number one. That's my number one How priority. How many Two. How old? Uh, Twelve, and uh, my oldest is about to turn eighteen at the end of the month. Um, okay, so I'm I'm close. I have a fourteen and a nineteen. So yeah, so you understand. You understand. Yeah, that's my legacy. I, I want to raise kids that are good people and um, are positive contributors to the world. They don't need to solve whatever, but back to our earlier conversation about just how they carry themselves and mm -hmm. with other people and how they show up in the world. Honestly, that's my number one. Uh, that's, that's, that's the legacy I wanna leave. I want people to say that you know, Raphael was their father. They're, they're the kids of Raphael Travis. That's that's my number one. So who are the three most influential and impactful people in your life personally and professionally and why? That's really hard. I you know it sounds it's it's gonna sound so like selfish and ridiculous, but um like outside of my parents there's so few people um and, and i know it sounds terrible um 
but I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, so when I was coming up, so obviously like my parents and my grandparents were okay. just incredibly important. Um, my, my parents were the two hardest working people that I've ever seen in my life. Like they, they were professional workers. Like there's never excuse for tired or anything. They worked. Um, they split up when I was five, but my dad was in my life, which is great. You know, he, you know, there's some questionable decisions made along the way at different points, but he was always present. He was always there and he worked ridiculous hours at his job. My mom, because he left, it was just her taking care of me and she just worked herself. Um, and so I always had that example of work. There was never an excuse, you know, like <laughs> no excuse for not, not doing anything, right? There's no such thing as I'm too tired. And, um, and that was really, really impactful. Um, whether it's right or wrong, I never had an excuse not to get something done, whether it was homework or whatever. So that was really impact influential. Um, my blood pressure made, <laughs> <laughs> made me suffer because of it, but, <laughs> but, but I took care of what I needed to take care of. Um, so um, outside of that, my grandmother was literally like a walking angel. Like whatever was going wrong, like my arm could literally be falling off, like literally be like hanging. Uh -huh. She'd be like, it's all good. Everything's going to work out you know, God, God will take care, like whatever it was. And so the reason that was important is because no matter what was going down, like I know I could pick up the phone and call her and it would be better. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. and, and so, you know, that was very important for me to like never get too low. You know, whatever is, and we struggled a lot. We had a lot of stuff going on, but never to get too low. And and that has stuck with me um, for a long time. Um, I will say Public Enemy was very, 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 very influential on me um, at, you know, at a formative time in my life because you know, y'all are that in grew up in New York or know about kind of the narrative, like the 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 super predator, the like, you know, the the, the young black male, like it was such it had such negative connotations, you know, at the time. And public enemy was like, nah, like, <laughs> you know, I'm black and I'm proud, you know, like yeah, it, yeah. And shouted it. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. hey, by the way, I'm I'm kind of proud of my culture. Don't say that. They're like, nah, oh, like, yeah. this is who I am, you know? And and that was really powerful at a young age, you know, like middle school, early high school. Um, and so, you know, and I, you know, I told y'all, like, you know, I listened to them back from when they were just, they wasn't even big. They were just regular. Uh, but that has always been a part of, I, I joke with my daughter, you know how in high school you take your senior picture and everybody kind of stands together and they take the picture of everybody. 
I missed my senior picture with the whole class because me and my buddy, we were making a sign that said too black, too strong that we were going to hold up. <laughs> but we messed around and missed the time. So we missed the picture. <laughs> but it was just that was that was who we were at the time. You know what I mean? But that was so affirming. Uh, you know, nobody was going to tell me what I was. You know, so that was big for me. Um, you know, as controversial as, as it is, as he is now, um, uh, Bill Cosby was actually very influential. I mean, the Cosby show, because, you know, at that time, you know, we, you know, we, we grew up low income, you know, we worry about paying the rent, you know, the lights get cut off, you know, all the stuff we were struggling with, but like the image that the Cosby show presented was like, wow, this is family, two professionals, everybody's happy and having a good time. You ain't got to worry about, you know, food and all this stuff. And, uh-huh. you know, it gave me something to aspire to, you know, and um, and so that was very formative to me. And I know there's also the controversy about him as a person, but that, you know, what the show portrayed, show yes, you know, um, that was very influential. And there are lots of other people, you know, Malcolm X, again, kind of that historical mm-hmm. uh, independence and assertiveness. Um, Nelson Mandela, I, I spent um, some time in South Africa and so really got to appreciate the story of, you know, his revolutionary struggle and, and apartheid and, and that, you know, so he, he was very influential kind of thinking about the global, you know, thinking beyond just the United States. A lot of times we get caught up in just the U.S. story, um, but you know, a globe, you know, part of the Black diaspora. Like these, these types of struggles exist all over the globe. You know, and there are people that are working on behalf of of change all over. So Mandela is important. Um, there's a lot of people I could go on for days and days. <laughs> You worse than me. My top, <laughs> my top five is like thirty six people. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what keeps? So what keeps you hopeful and grounded now that it's so chaotic in this world? Um, what 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 keeps you from just as I. It, just pulling your hair, yeah. Your shit. <laughs> yeah, honestly, man, making my mixes. Um, yeah, that's that's my that's my go to, man. I, I just I love music. I love thinking about how to put music together. Um, I love breaking down lyrics. Um, I just yeah, the music does a lot for me. Uh-huh. Um, I love jumping on the turntables. Um, I love, you know, trying to make beats, even though I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love kind of, you know, I just really love digging into the music, listening, trying to, you know, my, you know, the same way that people, you know, if you think about sampling back in the days, mm-hmm. you know, how people would go digging for samples so that they could put together a beat. That's the way that, that's the way I, I dig for empowering lyrics in music. Mm-hmm. So I listen to as much music as I can, trying to find 
those songs, those hidden gems that mm-hmm. you know, speak to, you know, like, like for example, you know, you think about um, the bridge wars, right? So you think mm-hmm. about the bridge in South Bronx, right? And, you know, we've listened to those songs a million times, but people never talk about the fifth verse in the bridge. Mm-hmm. The fifth verse in the bridge is one of the most empowering verses in all of hip hop history, right? You talk about that growth dimension, that mentorship. Mm-hmm. Shan is dropping knowledge about, you know, how how young people should think about themselves and growing up and making good decisions and all that stuff. All right, That's now like, you got to drop the verse. You just can't talk about. It. You got to drop that verse. Oh, I don't have it committed to memory, but I'll I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me break down the bridge lyrics. I'll, I'll find it for you in a second. But that's a big part of, you know, what I'm doing. I'm constantly mining for, you know, empowering music um, that I can, that we can use. You can use in therapy, you can use in the classroom, you can use, um, or for just for myself, my own self-reflection. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's a lot of what keeps, keeps me going. So if you're looking for um, some inspiration, um, there's an artist called, Je- his name is Jasper Brown. Jasper Brown. Um, he He's a boom bap artist. But he has this song that I listen to um, every morning called Get Over Yourself. It's called Goya, but it's Get Over Yourself Already. Okay. And about how harmful that phrase is to people who um, are already having a hard time. And then you tell them they get over yourself already. Like um, we've been ingrained to struggle. So Mm -hmm. we just need to get over ourselves, you know, and and not complain about it or seek help or, try to better ourselves we we're just supposed to just get over ourselves and go with the flow so that that i love that song it 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 motivates me and and it stops me from actually saying it to myself when i'm having a a struggle with someone and Mm -hmm. i'm like okay Maybe it's your ego. Just get over yourself. Well, maybe it's not my ego. Maybe <laughs> right. they're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, I often talked about this idea of, quote unquote, being resilient. Like a lot of times people are, you know, they put that out there as, as if it's a good thing, as if it's like a character trait. But mm-hmm. you can't put resilience as a as a character trait because then that assumes that a person would just be able to handle anything that's thrown their way mm-hmm. and that's not that's not fair to an individual you know uh what if they need some help you know you think like oh she's good she's resilient you know she mm-hmm. handled that other situation i don't need to help them i don't need to support them they'll just be able to figure it out and handle it um uh, you know but hey, I found the lyrics. I'll read. I'll read some of them. So this is all right. Dead dreams, bought and sold. You got to try and receive your goal. However you do it, however you made, 
Don't ever listen to what they say, because I'll tell you the deal. I got I need the beat, but anyway, you gotta go by what your heart feel. Cause if you don't, you'll be misled by stupid little things put inside your head. Or someone else that you will see trying to uh they're trying to live your destiny. By the time you think about it, you're grown, and then you gotta say, God, God damn, I'll leave my home. Grab hold of your heavy chain. Rich people always pulling, trying to restrain. You heard just what I said. They always pull you back when you want to get ahead. They pull you back because they're not with it. You talk about school, they're talking about quit it. Soon you'll see that time just fly because you spent most of it out getting high. Thought about it much, much later. Could have went to school and been much greater, but you chose to lead that fate. Now you're sucking on a bone when it should have been steak. The whole purpose of the story I told was mainly to inspire you to reach your goals. Stop walking through life as if you're blind. You should reach your goal because I'm reaching for mine and I'm from the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all know that line. Y'all know that word. Yeah. But that always gets hidden. That verse gets hidden. But uh, I need to do a yeah. beat next time. That was, that was terrible. That wasn't terrible. <laughs> That you didn't need to be because then people are forced to actually listen to the work to the lyrics. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. Every, everybody <laughs> gets the vibing on beats now. That yeah. they leave out the most important part is what what they're actually saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that album by Jasper Brown is called Purposeful, and okay. it is a purposeful album. We'll check that out. Um, so, uh, does hip hop utilize spirituality in its form of expression? And do you think it's effective or helpful to the listener? Um, you know, and there's, there's a whole community of, you know, spiritual based hip hop that's Mm -hmm. huge and thriving and that's not really, um, one that I'm super familiar with, uh, but I know that there's a, a, a great scene and community around it. Um, you know, probably, I guess, the most crossover successful artist is like Lecrae, that is probably the most well-known crossover artist kind of grounded in spirituality. But but outside of that, I mean, I think there's lots of artists that you could say that may not be like overtly religious, but have a spiritual component to what they're talking about. Like uh, Jay Electronica. Right, with Jay Electronica. I mean, if you go back from, you know, even KRS and talking about kind of metaphysics and that kind mm-hmm. of, you know, spiritual element to it. Uh, and you have a lot of artists. Pretty Bob. Yeah, that speak to to that uh, element, and I'd also think you know, um, yeah, and you have your you know like DMX and Kikadi mm-hmm. and other artists that overtly reference prayer and things like that. But for uh, you know, kind of talking about those different dimensions, you know, the growth in community messages that you hear in hip hop, you know, a lot of the, the kind of conversation about transformation and being, you know, turning over a new leaf, mm-hmm. being a better version of yourself, 
mm-hmm. um, connecting with the people that are important to you. A lot of those are grounded in some element of spirituality and connectedness to something greater than them, you know, even if it's not like an overt reference to God or spirituality. Um, I think that's essentially what you're getting from a lot of those messages. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes them powerful, honestly. You know, that there is that transcendence, that transformational spiritual element to growth and connection. Yeah, I, I've, I've noticed that uh, Jay-Z and, and Beyonce are probably... Um, two artists that I see that are exploring that part of themselves because you see a lot of the imagery that they're using is um, really steeped in African spirituality. So do you think, um, do you think that it's an effective tool when you work, you know, when working with clients? the African uh, spirituality part or or just spirituality spirituality in general, in general. Um, I don't make reference to it overtly, um, but I try kind of back to before what I was talking about, like when I talk about, you know, what are the, what communities are you a part of that you value? I will mm-hmm. talk about faith. I will talk about spirituality. I will talk about, um, you know, racial identity and 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 make it a part of helping people to to kind of think about, you know, what is meaningful to them. So kind of mm-hmm. opening it up to them. But I don't, you know. So even racial identity and all that is, you know, that sort of cultural connection is. The, there is a spirituality there, but I don't necessarily push it, you know what I mean? But I do try to help them be aware of like, those are the types of communities that you should be able to identify and think about like what's, what's affirming about being a part of that community for you. And a lot of times um, Mm -hmm. faith will come up in those discussions. So just, what are some of the, Sorry, go ahead. What are some of the self-care techniques uh, you practice for yourself to help prevent like digital burnout, fatigue, you know? Yeah, sports and music. Sports and music are my go-to. So Mm -hmm. um, when I I don't, um, so for me, the, the biggest thing is alternating between like consuming and creating. So Mm-hmm. So I'm always digging for content. I'm always digging for, you know, like I was saying, empowering content. So that means I'm consuming, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm looking up and I'm scrolling and I'm listening to. Um, when I get too much of that, then I flip it to the creative side. So I'll get on the turntables where I'm, I'm doing, I'm creating, or I'll get on the I'll start on the beat making where I'm creating. So I kind of try to flip it, you know, mm-hmm. I do more of that. That's been my goal is to do more on the creative side, even if it's not like trying to 
make like, you know, a, a Grammy winning beat or anything, but ju it's just the act of the active mm -hmm. nature of it is different than, you know, consuming digital content. You know what I mean? This was amazing. I'm so glad that you came and talked to us. Uh, is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to or any projects you're currently working on that you'd like to promote? Yeah, so, you know, we have, uh, I'm, at, I'm at Texas State University in the School of Social Work and a big part of my goal for the next generation of social workers is to get them comfortable with using creative arts, particularly hip hop culture within their practice. We have a studio uh, that's in the school of social work. Uh, one, one of the few schools of social work around the country that has a, a studio actively in the school. And- Oh, that's dope. Uh, yeah. And uh, we work with our TRIO program. Um, so that's where a lot of the work with high school students comes in. TRIO is aims to support uh, students that are college bound that have professed that they, you know, that they plan to go to college. And so they try to help them on their way. And then once they get into college, um, they have some support programs there too. So we work a lot with them. And so I just want to give a shout out to, to my TRIO partners uh, and just shout out to TRIO programs around the country. They do some great work. Uh, also, Hip Hop Congress is a part uh, uh, of that as well. So shout out to Hip Hop Congress nationally. Um, there's a lot of collaborators that I work with pretty actively around the country. So I'll shout out uh, Today's Future Sound, shout out Rhythmic Mind, uh, mm -hmm. shout out the Hip Hop Egg community. Um, and uh, another thing is next year, early next year, for folks that are interested in this work that want yeah. to learn more about kind of under the hood, or the, some of the more technical side of things, um, I will be launching an online course um, that will, you know, kind of self-paced online course uh, where people are able to like really dig into this concepts and these concepts and the research and, you know, some yeah. of the, the um, tools that people can use, whether it's for self-care or more bona fide therapeutic interventions. So that'll be launching early next year. And so that'll be an opportunity. Um, you can follow the work that I do. Um, I'm on social media at RAPT Jr. R-A-P-T-J-R. And my website is flowstory.org. That's my, my organization, which attempts to kind of bridge research with the real world. I take a lot of what, you know, I've learned through the research side of things and try to put it into practical terms. That's where you'll see a lot of the playlists too. You'll see some of the, some of the music, um, a lot of the songs and things. Um, so okay. yeah, so those are some of the things that are going on. I'm excited for 2022 uh, and a lot of different projects going on. Um, hold on just a second. Mm -hmm.
It's in the text that I just sent you, SP. Okay, we're going to Oh, okay. Is it those two questions? I can just answer those. I know if that's yeah, what <laughs> thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't find them what he's talking about. Yeah, it's partially in there. So um, so one of the things that I've been uh the kind of newer direction in my on the research side of things is you know, we've seen that there are people that are doing hip hop based therapeutic work their own creations, their, their own things. And each of those has shown to be successful in some way. So we've got some people that are doing lyric writing, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, and, and there's evidence that that's successful, therapeutic lyric writing. Uh, we have people that are doing therapeutic beat making, shown that successful. Um, there's some of, you know, my work in exploring lyrics um that's shown to be successful but we're at a point now where we can begin doing some interdisciplinary work so for example um i've been doing we've been doing a mixtape camp over the last three years so i'm I'm a social worker ian levy is a school counselor he has his model i have my model and so we got together and said you know what would happen if we if we created uh, a hybrid of our two approaches and work with some young people, you know, could that work? So we tried it out and it worked marvelously um, the first year. And we've done it for three years since. Um, I collaborated with uh, Elliot Gann in his therapeutic beat making, put our models mm-hmm. together and said, you know, what would happen if we combine that? So I think we're at a place now where we can begin to get really kind of sophisticated and get creative with how we integrate these different perspectives. Um, As a social worker, what I find valuable is it's not just about, you know, kind of counseling. You come in and we do some work and you feel less depressed. Um, But, you know, in my work, it's constantly paying attention to the environment. So no conversation are we going to have without paying attention to the environmental realities, right? There's always that conversation and thinking about what are some ways that we can get more engaged and be more civically engaged Mm -hmm. um, so that I'm not just helping myself, but I'm trying to figure out ways where we're making some improvements in the communities that we care about. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's really what I want to bring when I'm talking about bringing social workers into hip hop. And that's my goal is to have a whole new generation of social workers that are using the culture to both address individual well-being and address community well-being at the same time. So that's that's kind of the future, the interdisciplinary work that I see going forward as it relates to hip hop and well-being. Well, that is definitely going to be a powerful impact. Since uh, I just want to thank you again um, for coming. This has been amazing. And I always say you just never know who your words are going to touch. (laughs) And I hope that when this episode airs that you... SP, you can't hear me? I can't hear you. No, I couldn't. 
What the heck? All right, so let me let me ask the last let me ask the last one. Are we good? She was good, but she, uh, she well, yeah. I was gonna let her finish her point, and then I was gonna tell you to come back. But oh. I, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, SP. Uh, thank <laughs> you, thank you for that. Um, my bad. Go ahead. Let go. me ask the question, and she could go back to that. Sorry. Um, since hip hop culture is now global, what can we learn from the global hip hop movement? Uh, I think there are a couple of things that are really important. I talked earlier about how, you know, in a lot of these global communities, you often see a a, a purer version. I don't want to say purer. That's not a right word. But mm-hmm. you often see, um, you see hip hop culture without some of the baggage that uh, like a more along, raw, raw uh, version with, within within the U.S. Um, you see people like, so for instance, like the B-boy culture is like, is bananas around the globe, right? Like this, that people just right. lo- love right. the art, right? Like just all about it. Um, graffiti culture is is mad everywhere. Like they, um, and, you know, so all of it. So it's, it's it's not better, but what I'm saying is like, the, the culture is vibrant around the globe and people really love the art for art's sake. Um, and that's very helpful um, because when we get disenchanted by what the mainstream offers us here, mm-hmm. it can be a breath of fresh air when you see how hip-hop culture is represented in these other places and it can be renewing and inspiring and it it, and it can allow you to say yes you know this is a beautiful culture um without some of the the hang-ups of how it's represented sometimes here in the united states so that's one big piece um and you can celebrate with others that love the culture right like we went, went to france to do our presentation and just like met crazy hip hop heads that just love hip hop. Like we could vibe just on that in and of itself. Right. Um, that's, it's, it's amazing to be in community with people that love what you love, you know? Um, but the second piece is more around the social justice side of things. Um, and recognizing that across the diaspora, whether it's the black diaspora or just the diaspora of, of uh, often marginalized communities that there are these common struggles that exist everywhere. I did, so I did the mixtape camp this summer, but I also did this other program called the world mixtape tour. And what we did was we did this sort of hypothetical stop at these different regions around the world um, but I know people in those areas. So I actually have people from those places zoom in with us and the kids. And we talked about what was going on in these different places. We look at artists from those regions. But one of the things that you saw, so when we were in Australia, we saw that the hip hop scene was, you know, we had Aboriginal hip hop artists talking about how the Aboriginal community was treated and how is the same story as the Native Americans and how they were treated mm-hmm. in the United States, right? Just completely mm-hmm. wiped off their land, marginalized, killed. Their, their children were taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, and sent off to these schools to strip them of their identity, right? And so the students were like, dang, word, like that happened there. And they're talking about it in the music and we learn, that's the same, you know. And so then we went to, um, then we went to India and we listened to some hip hop there. And, and, you know, and the artists were talking about these things, but there were these common stories in all these places around the globe. And, you know, that's part of the, the learning, right? Like our story can't be separated from these global historical trends and facts and things. Mm -hmm. um, and so like the universal story of resilience is a universal story of resilience, right? How do I cope with these crazy conditions that I, are being forced upon me oftentimes by things that are outside of my control, right? Or, you know, how do I draw upon, you know, the the, the cultural resilience um, that's showcased in, in my community um, because of all the stuff that we've had to deal with, right? Like, how can I be inspired by the leaders that fought the good fight in our history, right? Whether if I'm in India, we have our leaders. If I'm in Australia, we have our leaders. If I'm in the U.S., we have our leaders, and all that's reflected in in my music, right? Because the music from each region has their story, you know. So that the fact that it's global, we have these collective learnings that can exist that we can draw upon um, as part of kind of a global the global fight for equity and justice and our, 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 our mental well-being, you know. That's dope. Um, I, I just want to thank you again um, for coming on. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of Powerful Impact, where we discuss um, mental health and wellness with Dr. Raphael Travis, Jr., Purchase his book, The Healing Power of Hip-Hop, Intersections of Race, Ethnicity, and Culture. I'm SP. Subscribe to the Powerful Impact YouTube channel and stay connected to upcoming episodes and follow us on social media. I'm going to put all of Dr. Travis's um, information in the description so you won't have any problems connecting. Um, powerful impact is more than just music. It's a way of life. Soothing abuse of precipitation, pounding the skull like a speed bag. Needing that rush that comes attached with floods flashing as habits long ingrained are like John McClain, a dragon hard to slay, imagine more's the flame. Fetish for fire play, tugging a lion's mane, trying to escape unscathed from its violent rage. But scarred plenty, reservoir empty, built up a tall, heavy wall, levy meant a bar entry. And ways around that aren't any, being told to get over yourself already. You don't need nobody to lift you. Your biggest hurdle is just you, so what's the issue? It's simple as flipping a new leaf over. The old foliage will blow away any day, or so they say. Be like, get over yourself already. Get over yourself already.